man. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Many positives I can get out of this game. Time for two more. The game is over. Feeling the one guy you should probably be keeping an eye on is uh, the one that they allow to get open deep. Adam Thielen! Way back when. Wide open Adam Thielen caught on the run. 45 40, 35 30. And he's blasted out of bounds at the 25. Adam Thielen was absolutely wide open. Detroit Lakes go crazy! Cousins passes. Thielen! Thielen, just getting open when you need it. It's going to lose one for Thielen, who's there, caught! Fantastic celebration by Adam Thielen. the 27-yard line. It's a 68-yard reception by Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen! How about Thielen? Just getting open when you need it. Detroit Lakes go crazy! Play action. Kirk looking left. Passing left for Thielen! Flag on the play. He caught it. Touchdown! Adam Thielen back left of the end zone. Unofficially a Vikings touchdown. Vikings two of eight on third down, empty backfield. Three receivers left, two right, Stephon Diggs slot right. Cousins back to pass, fires to the end zone! Touchdown! Adam Thielen, you're unstoppable! Bad elf line, he delivers it to Kirk, facing a blitz. He'll go deep for Thielen. Back to pass. He'll pass right man wide open. Adam Thielen caught at the 40. Big time first down. Gets to the Jets 36 yard line. It's a 21 yard connection. And a Vikings first down for Adam Thielen. Eight catches. And he now has more than 100 yards for the seventh consecutive game. Adam Thielen! 
How about Thielen? Just getting open when you need it. Hey, 19, it's Paul Allen at 905. How are you, my friend? PA, I'm good. How you doing? Adam Thielen, what, um, what is a Tuesday morning like with young Asher? Are you working on nine routes, maybe uh, that Aldrich Robinson seam and go? What, uh, what are you doing this morning? Well, first of all, we had to work on the A-Rod dance, the touchdown dance. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but no, we actually got, just had a little breakfast with him, just dropped him off at, uh, got a little preschool, so just dropped him off there, and then uh, pick him up later, and we'll probably go to the park. This stage of the season, main man, Tuesdays are great, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're seven into it. You got a big one Sunday night against a tough New Orleans team. So to be able to kick your feet up and then, you know, eventually start looking at the Saints defense, they, these are great days, aren't they? Yeah. And I think they're, they're, they're just really important days as well to just be able to take care of your body, obviously get the massages in, uh, get in the hot tub, things like that. And, um, obviously th- those things are crucial right now. Uh, to for this you know this next stretch we have uh, for the end of the season, uh, Adam Thielen, sixty-seven catches, eight hundred twenty-two yards, five touchdowns. More importantly, for Adam and uh, everybody listening now, uh, the Vikings have won three consecutive. So, what has you more excited, young man? The win over the Jets or your friend Alex Stalock's Minnesota Wild winning two in a row? Well, I think they're equally as important. Uh, obviously, uh, my guy Alex is uh, so excited for him. I've been giving a lot of pointers this offseason on, on how to stop a puck, so uh, <laughs> he's been using it. So <laughs> Well, conversely, um, Stalock says that during the offseason training this summer with you, um, he worked on his cornerback still skills trying to cover you. Is that accurate? That is accurate. He thinks that he can cover me to this day, and uh, <laughs> he also thinks he has better hands than me, which... Uh, uh, I don't, uh, you know, maybe if he has a glove in his hand. I mean, with all due respect to a professional goaltender, he might want to start with Asher, then work up to Adam, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's a guard Asher. He's pretty elusive. I mean, he's he's been, uh, he's probably broke my ankles a few times. Uh, back to the Vikings for a second with Adam Thielen, game-changing receiver, Minnesota Vikings. Do you uh, Do you sense the overall team truly has hit stride? Um, I don't think so. I don't. I mean, obviously, I'd like to say yes, but uh, I, I don't think we'd want to be on the side. I think that's you know part of the progression of the season. Uh, you're continually getting better. Um, you know, our offense we, we were pretty poor on third downs uh, this past week, and and those are the things that they have to do well. You know, when our defense is playing the way the way that they've been playing the last few weeks, we have to make sure that we're staying on the field and uh, giving them some rest and. And putting points on the board on uh, on every drive, you know, whether that be a, a field goal or, or a touchdown. So uh, we have obviously have a lot of things to work on, and, and that's a good thing when you're in a three game winning streak and you have a lot of things to work on. What do you remember about the Saints playoff game la- last January? Well, I mean, I remember it just being a a, a tough battle. Obviously, um, they had a great defense. Obviously, their offense means what they're able to do is. Is uh, they're never out of a game, which makes you makes it really tough as an offense. You have to just go out there every single uh, every single down and and uh, give it everything you got, and you have to make sure. Again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. You have to stay on the field. You have to convert third downs to to keep them off the field. 
Uh, the you know in in the miraculous victory, you were on the other side of the field from the miracle. Marshawn Lattimore was opposite you. Uh, did you in any way think you guys would pull off that win, the Stephon Diggs sixty-one yard miracle? Uh, definitely not in that fashion, but uh, no, I, I thought we had a chance when we completed that first pass of, of that drive and we got out of bounds. Um, I kind of I kind of had a feeling that man, we're, we could do this. We have a chance and. We had a couple opportunities actually before Dings' catch um, to – we had a, a chance to really get the ball out of bounds and, and be in field goal range, and, and one of our receivers fell down, if I, if I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I knew we had a chance, but definitely didn't think that we were going to score a touchdown in a walk-off fashion. Adam, what are some traits you truly appreciate about Kirk Cousins? I mean, I think I think the biggest thing that, that uh, you know you can say about Kirk Cousins and maybe something that separates him from other guys is, is nothing phases him. You know, he he knows he's never out of a football game. Um, his arm talent, obviously, his uh, athleticism is, is maybe underrated. He's actually an extremely good athlete and, and he can move pretty well. So, um, you know, he, he does a lot of things well. But I think the best is that he's just he's going to be the same guy every day, no matter what happened before. And uh, he's going to keep you in every game. How is John D. Filippo different from Musgrave, Norv, or Shermer? I think it's just his mentality. You know, he's he's an attack, attack, attack mentality, and it's really cool to play for somebody like that. That just he wants it so bad, and he's going to do whatever it takes to to put you in the right positions. And and he's just going to keep attacking all game, whether that be in the run game or the pass game. You know, he's going to. He's going to have plays in there that's going to be able to attack that defense, and, and he's not scared to, to go after anybody. So it, it's pretty cool to play for somebody with that's uh, that passionate about the game and, and uh, is not scared of anything. When you were released by the Vikings after preseason 2013, was there ever a chance you'd sign with another team? No, not really. Um, right when they released me, they said that they were going to sign me to the practice squad if I cleared waivers and uh, I had a pretty good feeling I was going to clear waivers because I probably got five minutes of, of preseason action that whole preseason. So um, I, I, I wasn't really uh, thinking I'd be anywhere else than here and, and uh, knew it would be a really good opportunity. What if Belichick called and it was Edelman, Amendola, Hogan, and Thielen? Oh, my God, that'd be unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, if they would have called and, and uh, wanted me on the active roster, there's no doubt I would have been there. But uh I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Do your parents still come to road games? I, I can't say that I've seen them in the lobbies this season. You know, they, they usually pick out a couple uh, each year, and, and my wife's parents as well. Um, they usually go together and, and travel somewhere. So they'll be at you know maybe one or two this year. Um, they kind of try to go to some stadiums that they haven't seen before and um, some different venues that they want to see. A couple of quickies to close for uh, the NFL's uh, top receiver statistically through the uh, first seven weeks, Adam Thielen. Why uh, Why is it important for the passing game to run as well as you guys have the last two games? Say that again? Sorry, I, I cut out there. Your passing game. Why? Why To assist the passing game, why is it so important to run as well as you guys have the last two games? Well, I mean, I think it, it's a national football that you have to be able to run the football. Teams, if you don't, teams can just tee off on your quarterback. It makes it extremely tough on your offensive line. Um, they can drop guys in coverage and, and double-team guys. Um, they can double-team two guys at one time. You know? So it, it, it's, uh, it's just so important to have those guys that we have in our backfield and, 
Um, and, you know, I think it's pretty cool because uh, you, you saw it in the Jets game. When, when things are going well in the passing game, uh, there, there's some holes. And if they can just break through that first layer and our offensive line does a great job like they did and, and then you have the athletes we have in the backfield, there's going to be some explosive runs. And uh, we're going to need that to continue. And, and we're also going to need to convert some third downs because, um, that that only gives those guys more opportunities to to break some runs. Main man, you you know more about football than I'll ever know. But when I was watching back a fair amount of the Vikings Jets game, correct me if I'm wrong. On that first touchdown, you were singled. You got by Daryl Roberts and and Cousins closed on it. But outside of that, the the coverage you and Stefan were getting was pretty extensive during the course of the game. And and thus Aldrick Robinson was able to score. Zilstra was able to get his first catch. You know that that coverage you and Diggs got was was uh, was pretty tight. Yeah, it was uh, uh, you know something that we haven't seen yet. Um, but they they double every third down, second and third down, pretty much. Uh, I think they call it double double where they where uh, they they double Diggs and I and and then they single everybody else up. But uh, the cool thing about this team is is if you do that, you're gonna you're gonna have one on one matchups for some really good football players. You know, Rudy obviously uh, what he's able to do, and and then you know our other receivers and. Uh, our running backs are going to be singled up, and, and that's when you get explosive plays, and, and uh, that's why you have to have uh, multiple guys uh, on your offense to make plays because because that's what's going to happen. They're going to they're going to double team your, your best players, and then they're going to let the other guys uh, try to try to make them beat you. And, and luckily, we have a lot of playmakers. And, and uh, I'm excited to see what, what, what we can do moving forward. I heard, uh, last one, I heard Carly Zucker mention this on the power trip this morning. Uh, it's December 3rd, which is a Monday, 6 to 9 in the evening. Uh, you're going to be at Top Golf in Brooklyn Center. What uh, What's going on? Yeah, the Thielen Foundation is our first event. Uh, my wife and I are super excited to uh, do a little Top Golf event. I think it's something different, and, um, and I think it'll be really fun. So you can go check it out in the the face the feeling foundation facebook page or uh, our website and uh get signed up for you can get a bay and i think i'm gonna try to get a bunch of guys to go there i think it'll be fun for the guys as well to go out there and hit some golf balls around and, and the best part about top golf is you don't have to be good at golf to to have fun so it should be a really cool event i'm hoping that uh a lot of people enjoy it so uh we can all learn more via social media but specifically with the Thielen foundation page t- tickets are available tomorrow right Yes, yes, tickets are available on there. You can you can uh, rent out the entire bay if, if you have a bunch of people you want to want to come. And uh, there'll be silent auction items. Uh, like I said, there'll be a bunch of Vikings players there to to hang out with and meet, and it'll be a good time. Uh, stay hot, main man. Great, great start to the season. Glad the team's hot. Enjoy uh, your chill day, and um, I'll see you at TCO Performance Center tomorrow. Okay. All right, I appreciate it. Bye, Adam. Bye, Adam Thielen, wide receiver, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, a Hey 19 vibe to begin the 9 to noon radio presentation. P.J. Fleck, coach of the Golden Gophers football team around the corner. Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com, 9.35. Uh, the techie is in studio on uh, the Timberwolves and the World Series at 9.55. Charges pickup joint 90 minutes from now. Kevin Lynch from Fox Sports North in studio, 10.55 on the uh, Timberwolves victory last night. And uh, we thank Eric Nordquist for not only producing 9 to Noon, but doing that excellent, impeccable work with the Hey 19 montage. I'm Paul Allen from the Bryan Heating and Cooling Studios. Good morning. It's a Talker Tuesday at FM 100.3. The Fan. That's real.
You're listening to P.A. In those days, they wouldn't go to hell for $5 more like they do today. On the Fan. You're listening to The Fan. PJ Fleck, weekly 9 to noon, tape it on Mondays, play it back on Tuesdays. Started um, this conversation wondering, PJ, why are you taking the onus of the blame for what's happening right now? Well, I'm responsible for everything that happens in the program. You know, and when you take the job and you know what you're going to have to be able to do, you got to make some decisions. Uh, do you fix things by going a junior college route, or do you actually start over with a lot of young players, 35 freshmen on our two deep? And uh, that's the way it is. So, um, you know, they always say, I think this was said by Kobe Bryant, that, um, you know, with patience, you got to be impatient, but you can't be frustrated, you know. Um, and not only just youth, there's a lot of inexperience. Now, do we have some experience? You bet. You know, and that's the guys we're relying on. Um, you know, and we knew that, like I said all along, year two, we're going to get way younger and way in more inexperienced before we get better. And that's where we're at. So we're exactly where I thought we'd be. Um, you know, when you're talking about the yards and you're talking about points and, you know, right now we've got to be able to almost rob Peter to pay Paul, put band-aids over a few things, uh, kind of get outside of what we want to do to put a, a lot of more emphasis on other players to pr- protect some weaknesses. And when you start to do that, you know, you start to get away a little bit from what you do. And, um, you know, we've had eight, we had 18 missed tackles, you know, last game. And, um, you know, we've got to continue to fix that through recruiting, through development of our players, and we'll continue to do that. But, Again, um, you know, there's no frustration coming from me at all, uh, but it is our program. Um, I'm the one that uh, designs how we rebuild it and we make it, and that's what um, what I said in there. And so, again, I know exactly where we are and where we're supposed to be, and this is exactly where um, we are supposed to be. I'm not talking records. I'm not talking yards. I'm talking about as a program where we are with this amount of youth and inexperience we have. This is exactly where I thought we would be. If you guys are missing tackles like that, then I mean you're in a really difficult spot, right? At this stage of the season with limited practice time. I mean, I mean seriously, how do you get around that? Well, you've got to continue to be creative, you know, and that's what we have to continue to do. You know, uh, it's most of the missed tackles for the most part is on the back end. So you know, we we stop the run. That's what we want to do. I think our front seven is playing really well. Um, on the back end, you know, people are really smart. They're making our back end make plays and make tackles in certain situations through formations, through scheme, and all those other things. We know that. And uh, to be able to help ourselves, you know, we're taking some of that off of them and putting it on other people. But when you start putting it on other people and giving them more responsibilities in the front seven, sometimes they're not playing as fast as they normally would because they got to think a little bit. So uh, we know what we have to be able to do. We know uh, some of our deficiencies, which, again, we've got to fix in development. We've got to fix in recruiting. But again, those are going to have to be fixed over time, and uh, we know that. We knew that when we walked in here. What uh, What are some overall things you are seeing now, PJ? You absolutely know will be better this time next season. Well, absolutely, you, you want to be. You know, we're going to be a heck of a lot more experienced next year than we are this year. Um, we're playing a lot of young guys now to make sure that next year and the year after and the following year, they're not young anymore. Um, you know, and and that's that's some that's that's the decision that I've made. Um, you're kind of forced into that decision, but that's a decision I've made. And, um, you know, I know our team is playing their tail ends off. They're playing extremely hard. We're down 28 nothing. We battle back with 22 unanswered points. I mean, that, that shows the resiliency of these, I think there's seven or eight freshmen now starting on offense um, in the Big Ten. You know, and that, that's, you're, you're, that's, 
That's not where you want to be as a football program, but it's where we are right now to get to where we want to be one day. And uh, you're doing everything you can to win games now. You know, we score on a, a play that gets called back for a holding penalty. Um, if you look at it, that turns out to be 8-7 to seven to start the game, and maybe it's different because we do take the extra point. So we, um, it just wasn't. It just, um, again, we're learning how to win games. We're learning how to complete games. We're learning how to lead. We're learning how to finish. We're learning all these things as a young team. And just because we have a few experienced players doesn't mean you're an experienced team. This is a, this is a team game, you know. Uh, but we're getting better every single week in a lot of areas. And in some, uh, we're going to get better over time based on more development and in recruiting. Where are some areas where you definitely are getting better? Well, Carter Coughlin leads the Big Ten in sacks. You know, I mean that's that's a huge notch in his his, his cap into our you know defensive line cap. We need to be really good up front, and I think our front seven has done a great job for the most part of of stopping the run against again Ohio State. And you look at Iowa. This game, we knew we'd have to be able to do some other things, and we didn't stop the run. We missed four tackles, and that's 200 yards of rushing right there, and most of it's on the back end. So I think our front seven is playing really, really well uh, when you look at in terms of, uh, of that. I think our punter, Jacob Herbers, you know, he punted five times in the first half, and, and all five were down inside the 20-yard line. You know, We had 474 yards of total offense, which is the second best we've had since New Mexico State. Um, you know, and Tanner Morgan, you know, and, and, and Zach Annex, that both freshmen threw for 350 yards, which is the most in a decade uh, that Minnesota's had in the Big Ten. And Ty Johnson, I mean, he's the second leading receiver in the Big Ten. Again, these are, these are, these are the things we're going through. And, and again, people want things to be perfect. We played 10 freshmen on offense last week. We played four freshmen on defense. Um, it's just where we are. Oh, PJ Fleck, weekly nine to noon. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm big. I, I appreciate it when people in your position, head coaches, they do their job, they run the program, they're like the CEO, and they delegate to the coordinators or whatever. And and I would imagine that's the way you do it. When it comes to schematically things defensively, uh, are they done the way you want them done? Is it more, some of these problems, is it more scheme or lack of execution? Well, there's three things I'll break down every time I look at anything in terms of coaching-related, right, when you're looking at anything. One is a schematic column. Uh, one is a coaching column, and two is a or three is a personnel column. Okay, so that's how I evaluate everything that we do. All right, was the problem a schematic problem? Was it a teaching issue that he didn't get, or is it just flat out personnel and we're not good enough? So you look at all those things schematically, where where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. We've got some young guys that kind of get their eyes in the wrong spot, and they've got to be more consistent in that. Um, and then when you talk about personnel, you know, we're not tackling at a high level right now, but we know why we're not tackling at a high level right now. And we have to fix that through development and recruiting. Um, but when you're talking about schematics, you know, this is the same defense that you know, everybody's raving about the week prior against Ohio State of how we stopped their running game and did all those other things. Right. The same defense, same schematics. But like I said before, schematically what we have to do is protect your flaws. And when you start protecting your flaws with a lot of young people, maybe inexperienced people all around, and you're losing some people here and there with injury, now all of a sudden you're playing really inexperienced guys at times who aren't ready to play, yep. and then they're fitting into a scheme that you have to be able to adapt based on their needs. And so you're evolving through the whole year. It's not like we have this tremendously experienced and deep football team that you can just replace people on and on and on, and they all have the same type of talent level. You know, we lost Antonio Chenault in that game, so um, you know we don't have Antonio Chenault who's had to move from corner to safety because we don't have enough defensive backs in the program right now. 
and we have to play more base because we don't have enough defensive backs at this point to even play at that point. You can't draft. You can't go through free agency. You can't sit there and do that. That's that's the position we're in that we knew we'd be in right. um, when we took the job. And so what we have to be able to do is 2019 is a huge emphasis on that, and we'll continue to do it. But those are the three columns that I look at everything. Um, and, again, it, it's all got to fit. you know. And right now, uh, like I said, we're adapting our scheme to fit some of the strengths and weaknesses that we have. But when you do that, we're taking and putting more responsibility on some others that, that they're getting overloaded. And so now we've got to kind of go back and just kind of get back to uh, what we do best. I, I love that answer. And, I mean, in the ultimate team game, PJ, you know better than anybody, if you get a little aggressive your, with your defense and one guy is not in their gap, then the other guy's going to go 70 yards, and it's going to make everybody look bad. You know what I mean? Well, the most when you look back in the Maryland game when we, we struggled, it was missed tackles by a lot of young and inexperienced players. When you look at this game, we had a lot of missed tackles, um, uh, 18 missed tackles, a lot of them on the back end, and now all of a sudden it's gone. And that's the person that sets the edge. That's the person that's the last person before we get out. And, and when they condense and bring you in tight and they do those things, somebody's got to be on the edge. When that person's not on the edge, they're not setting the edge, they're missing that tackle. When you play really good running backs, it's over. you know. And that's where we're not being efficient. When we are, we're pretty good. You know, there's seven or eight plays in that game that are truly defining, and that's where we're, we have to be able to correct. It's seven to the seven, eight plays, you know, or three to four plays that are explosive plays that are a missed tackle or a blown coverage or somebody getting their eyes in the wrong spot. And that comes from guys got to be able to fail to grow. Like I said, I think our front seven's playing well. I'm talking about we know where our issues are, and we've got to continue to create the ways where they can play fast, and we put them in the best position where they could be successful. How did Tanner Morgan perform at Lincoln? Oh, I thought he stepped in and played really well. You know, I thought to handle that stage with 92,000 people as a freshman and walk in there after Zach went down and go in there and do what he did, that's impressive. Again, these are all freshmen that we're talking about for the most part. Um, and, again, people talk about, well, you can't talk about youth, you can't talk about that. We're talking about our entire team. We're talking about the youngest team in America. Okay, so when you're talking about that, that what these kids are doing, in my opinion, what they're able to do at such a young level is extraordinary. You might have one or two at times that can play well for you. But when you start looking at, you know, there's 35 freshmen on your two deep somehow, some way, that that's not the recipe for, for championship runs. You know, I mean, we, we got to get experience. We got to fail. We got to grow. We got to get these guys more developed, stronger. They, they got to continue to do that. But Tanner Morgan, I thought, went in there and just played really, really well. So, again, this is about developing those quarterbacks, uh, both of them um, as well. This time last week, PJ, last one, when you uh, when you were analyzing Nebraska for us and you mentioned uh, Purdue's offense, they upset the Buckeyes. You mentioned uh, Colorado early in the season. Colorado's had a good season. And uh, the spine tingler against Northwestern, I thought you analyzed uh, Nebraska really well. Tell us about Indiana and how Indiana plays. Well, they're, they're fighters. You know, um, their head football coach, tremendous, tremendous defensive mind. They play with incredible how. Uh, every single player. Defensively, they play a ton of players. I mean, they rotate a ton of players. Uh, they have a ton of depth everywhere, and so they keep guys fresh. They roll them in there, and they've got a bunch of guys who play really well together collectively. There's always a few wrinkles that are new that they do a great job scheming different people, and I'm sure they're going to do the same thing with us. Offensively, their quarterback, I think, is the heartbeat of their team. He's very accurate. He's very mobile. He's a tremendous leader, competitor, edgy player. And when you look on the outside, they've got a lot of weapons. The Westbrook kids 
really, really talented. They've got some young running backs. But their offensive line has played together for a lot of years. Uh, this is a very veteran group who's played football multiple years together, and they're very, very talented. They've got a, an exciting return game, and they're very deep in a lot of positions. PJ, thank you very much. Best of luck. Thanks for the chat, okay? No, my pleasure. Go Vikings. Go Vikings. Roll the boat. Sky Ma, go Gophers. Thanks, PA. You're listening to PA. Tuesdays are like a pain in the ass day. You know that, right? On the fan. You're exhausted from applying your lips to the buttocks of Pete Bursett. Pete. Oh, please. F. I'm here to serve you. T. It was driving me crazy. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, NBC Sports Radio, and uh, NBC's Football Night in America, uh, joins 9 to noon now. And, uh, Michael, what um, I, I missed it via the text, and I looked back, uh, back at it all weekend. What, what time does this plane arrive this weekend in Minneapolis? What are you talking about? Your son, Alex. Uh, he, was, he was in the booth for the Jets win. He might be good luck, and we play the Saints on Sunday night. You know, I, I offered him the opportunity to come up to the game. It's an NBC game. I wish we were there on set for it, but I said, hey, if you want to go up Sunday night, I'll send you up. He has not yet accepted. Well, uh, I mean, we're going to have to find a space for him, whether it's in the vast and ever-expanding iHeartMedia suite, the Vox Box, uh, or, I mean, he might be good luck, and, and he was a very respectful young man. Yes, well, he has learned well from the example set by his mother, and the instruction that he has received from her, the opposite of me, and that works out well. He really had a good time, though. He really did have a good time, and he enjoyed interacting with you. He did not like the supple side grab. I told him he should have punched you in the face, but uh, he, you know, that's not his nature. What happens in the booth stays in the booth, young Alexander. He He actually has gotten some grief because... The Vikings Twitter account has posted a couple of videos of your touchdown calls, and he's in there, and he's not reacting, and he said, I didn't want to make any noise. You guys are on the radio, and I didn't want to make any noise, and I wasn't going to jump up and down and start screaming, so I, you know, I just was careful. But he, your, your son Alexander, he clearly is a Vikings fan, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, because there were moments, and, and he got to hear the entire call with Versage and I, and, you know, I channeled my inner Florio in the second half where it looked like we were going to blow them out, but then it started to get weird for a second, and I'm like, hey, unlike the Arizona or Philadelphia games, let's put the pedal to the metal here and just bury somebody. And then we got that Aldrich Robinson touchdown and did it. But I could feel his anxiety during the course of the call because he thought it was evening out a little bit. Oh, because I was texting him saying, here it comes. Here it comes. Get ready. Here it comes. But it didn't. And, and when it was, what was it? Was it was it 27 to 10 again and then it was 27 to 17? Did that happen? Uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like it can never be easy, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, so it was funny. We had a kick out of it. But he had a great time. It was, I, And I had warned him all week it's going to be cold. And, of course, no coat. Now, he had, he had layers, but not nearly enough layers. But he really did have a good time. And uh, he, he, he had very positive things to say about you, which was kind of surprising. But, uh, yeah, he, he had a really good time with everybody, and that, that was good. Mr. Florio, what's your take on Adam Thielen's history-making season? Well, it's incredible. And I, he continues to do it each and every week. And, you know, at some point, the fact that he's making $4.8 million per year and Stephon Diggs is at 14.4, that becomes glaring to the point of embarrassing for the franchise. And, 
you know, maybe in hindsight they should have put some sort of an incentive package in place just to give him a way to get paid if he does perform at a high level. He's performing at a higher level than he did last year, and they're going to have to take care of him after the season, and hopefully they will, and I think they will. He's a guy like that you need in your locker room because for every Adam Thielen, you can take that guy and use him as the ultimate carrot for every other player who comes through, especially undrafted guys. You can be him. This is a meritocracy. If you do everything you're supposed to do, if you study, if you work, if you're committed to your craft, you can make the roster. You can get playing time. You can become a starter. You can become a star. And it's great that the Vikings have a guy like that, but they need to take care of him. They have so far, but I think he's grossly outperformed the contract he signed before the 2017 season, and they need to get him taken care of. And I know it's not going to be easy to do because you've got Diggs and Thielen. It's hard to pay both guys, but look, they're both earning it this year and really feeling more than Diggs dollar for dollar. I, I do believe there will be a redone deal, but I'm making a prediction when at ProFootballTalk.com you or a staff member writes about Thielen's new deal, um, I predict that Adam will be one who, A, will get paid handsomely, but he also will do it so that the team can continue to pay others and continue to get better. He's that kind of guy. Mark my words. Well, that's fine, but he's also got to take care of himself, and he's got to make enough money that he and his children will be taken care of for as long as possible, and he's got a marketable skill that the Vikings are benefiting from tremendously, and and there's a balance there, but you've got to take care of yourself. You only have so many opportunities to get that bite at the apple, and I think last time around he took the sure thing. This time around, we'll see if he if he takes the money, the bird in the hand, or he pushes for the proverbial two in the bush. Uh, NBC Sunday football night in America, Saints at Vikings. What's intriguing about this one? Well, the whole Minneapolis miracle thing, I think, has been overplayed, and I think that can provide for the Saints an extra little kick, an extra little boost. And, and really, when you consider the last two trips of the Saints to Minnesota, they have been handled early in those two games. The only difference is they sprang out of it in the playoff game, but they have to avoid getting off to a slow start against the Vikings. They need to keep the Vikings out of the end zone. They need to score some points early and try to control the game. Otherwise, they're going to be in a position where they have to dig out of a hole. But if they can continue what they did really in the last quarter and a half of the playoff game, then then I, I think they could win the game. And I think this is going to be the toughest game the Vikings have seen all year. And I don't like the way the team has performed at home. Sluggish against the 49ers. Inexcusable against the Bills. The game against the Cardinals, it felt like they were sleepwalking again. They can't do it this time. And if they do it this time, they're going to get blown off the field. Uh, who won the Amari Cooper deal, Dallas or the Raiders, for getting the first-round pick? Raiders, without question, for getting the first-round pick. And I respect John Gruden for not going into a shell after all the criticism following the Khalil Mack trade. He very easily could have said, we're not trading anybody else. I'm not taking that heat again. And back in 2013, the Browns did that after they traded Trent Richardson, which ultimately was a great move. They got a first-round pick for a guy who ended up being a complete bust. They could have traded Josh Gordon then, and one of the reasons they didn't, they didn't want to stir up the fan base again by letting Gordon go so soon in time after letting Richardson go. But for a first-round pick, look, Amari Cooper, and I, I crunched the numbers on this, Amari Cooper is not a number one receiver. He's not performing like a number one receiver. He he is 
average to slightly above average. And and consider this: in his last 20 games, he has 70 receptions for 960 yards and eight touchdowns. That's 20 games. Now, in those 20 games, there are four with 100 or more receiving yards. You take out those four games, that's 16 games. That's a full season. 38 catches for 391 yards. The Cowboys gave up too much, and here's what's going to happen. It's going to put pressure on the Cowboys to justify this. It puts pressure on Cooper. It puts pressure on the coaching staff. It puts pressure on quarterback Dak Prescott. He's going to feel compelled to throw the ball to Cooper, whether he's covered or not. And I think this was a huge mistake for the Cowboys. And then you get into contractual situation because if you use a first round pick on a receiver you got him for four years before you have to worry about big money cooper is due to make 13.9 million next year so what do you do next year do you pay him 13.9 do you try to extend the deal do you play it out and see what happens come 2020 do you go year to year under the franchise tag and all the while you are balancing whatever decisions you make about him against the fact that you gave up a first round pick to get him why do you think the jaguars are frauds well I think what happened to the Jaguars is that once they beat the Patriots and made it to 2-0 and beat the Patriots convincingly in Week 2, I think the Jaguars decided they wanted to hit the fast-forward button to the playoffs where they could face the Patriots again. And they forgot what it takes week in and week out to win football games. When Bill O'Brien, the coach of the Texans, said after beating Jacksonville on Sunday that winning an NFL football game is the hardest thing in professional sports. It's so much harder than anyone realizes. I think that was kind of a backhanded message at the Jaguars because they've lost sight of what it means week in and week out to win games. And even get like 37-17, right? You see the score and you think, wow, the Vikings really kicked the crap out of the Jets. But they didn't. And that game could have gone either way. A play here, a play there, and you lose that game. And the Jaguars have lost sight of what it took to get themselves in position last year to play for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And they want to go back to that. They want to skip past the regular season and get back to it. Kind of reminds me of the Vikings in 1999. I felt like they wanted to skip past the regular season and get straight to the postseason and try to finish the business from the year before. And what were they, 2-4 and before they finally woke up? So I think the Jaguars are in that same spot. They're not performing up to their potential. And this feels like an elimination game this weekend in London when the Jaguars at 3-4 and take on the Eagles at 3-4. and Are the Lions becoming the team to beat in the NFC North. I don't know that they're the team to beat. Let's see what they do when they face the Vikings. Let's see what they do when they have to go to Green Bay. Let's see what they do against the Bears. But this on Johnson, first 150-yard rusher for the Lions since Javid Best. Remember Javid Best? That's yeah. the guy the Lions got. They traded up with the Vikings in 2010. It was one of those weird, oh, we don't do trades in the division unless we think it's a good trade, and then we do it. Javid Best was that first-round pick late in round one. He had 160-plus yards on a Monday night against the Bears. The following Sunday, hit his head on the ground, never played again. But it looked like a fairly simple concussion, but he had that history. Couldn't get cleared, but this is now their first great running back since best, and that's a guy that that, uh, the Vikings are going to have to be able to bottle up, and any team that wants to knock off the Lions. And what's weird is, Michael David Smith made this point the other day, the, 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 the Lions have beaten three really good teams. The three teams they've lost to the combined record is anemic. So the Lions, you know, they're playing up and down to the level of the competition. They've got to start beating the teams they should beat. How seriously are you taking Washington at 4-2? and You have to take them seriously, and, and, and here's why. First of all, that division, well, currently they're in first place, and they could win that division. 
And if they win that division, they are going to be a dangerous team in the postseason. That is not a team that if you know if the Vikings would end up with a bye, the Saints, the Rams, any of those teams that may have a bye, and I guess the Panthers are still in that mix as well, you don't want Washington, a team with a grinded-out offense and a very good defense, going against, especially a team with one of these high-powered offenses like the Rams. I could see Washington going to L.A. and beating the Rams. I really could in the postseason. And I just think they can be a very dangerous team. And they continue to be overlooked. They continue to be underestimated. And I think that is playing into their advantage each and every week. And Adrian Peterson's got to stay healthy, and he's got to be able to to line up and play every week. But that defense is very good. The offense is good enough. And, and you get a little luck from time to time. Or you get a bad call from time to time, and you keep the run going. But I think they have to be taken seriously at 4-2. and two. Talk to you Thursday for your podcast. Later. Thank you. Football feast. You're listening to PA. Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. On the fan. KFAN Total Traffic. From the Holiday Station Stores Traffic Center, here's a look at the roads. We have accident on Lafayette Freeway, northbound on the right shoulder at Lafayette Bridge, also 35E southbound. Crash on the right side at Larpenter, and then on 94 eastbound at Hemlock. An accident there has been cleared. Also watch for heavy traffic on 94 eastbound, 394 to Hiawatha. That's traffic on the fan. Shop Lowe's to buy a 15-pound bag or more. Pennington Smart Seed and get Pennington One-Step Lawn Repair free. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 1024 in-store only. While supplies last, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. See store for details, U.S. only. And do this, head out to the Friday Football Feast. It's PA in charge at Buffalo Wild Wings in Coon Rapids from 9 to noon this Friday. October is the NFL's crucial catch month. So this feast is dedicated to our friends at the American Cancer Society. Prizes, feast swag, wings, Coors Light, and more. And you can get the complete feast schedule. Just go to 9 to noon's show page at KFAN.com. It's all thanks to Coors Light. What's up, here? Good win for your squad last night. I, wa- I mean... Basketball squad got the money last night, Techie. After all that, after all my complaining, and everyone's complaining, I watched the whole game. Well, so did I. I, mean, I. I watched the majority of it because it was a compelling, yeah. not unbelievably 150 to 148 right. type game. Uh, the Wolves, and, and you know, I, I can't remember how much time was left in the fourth quarter. But the Wolves were leading. There was a point where Indy, a, a, Indy is a playoff-type team from the Eastern yeah, Conference. they're solid. Victor Oladipo is a star. Yep. Uh, uh, Demata Sabonis off the bench, quality basketball player. Miles Turner is quality. Uh, Bogdan, uh, Bogdanovich, so they, 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 have, they have some players. Actually, I thought the Wolves were going to lose last night yeah. uh, off the way the season had started. So, nevertheless, 
Uh, Indy started missing shot after shot after shot after shot. Wolves made every shot. Opened up by 10, and it stayed right around there. Indy started to make just a baby run. The Wolves played two series of perimeter defense with switching and closing out on guys. I mean, with all due respect, it's as good as I've seen in quite some time. Holy cow. Yeah. No, I I mean, that's been the big complaint for this whole Thibodeau era is, like, where is the improvement defensively? And I agree with you. Like, I thought the bench guys in particular played really good defensively overall, but especially compared to the bench units that they put out there last year, Mm -hmm. which were just disastrous offensively a lot of the time and defensively. Techie, our bench outscored theirs 43-21. Yeah, I mean, think of saying that that last year or the year before. They would bring in their bench, and they were afraid to go with full bench units. Now they're putting four guys off the bench with Butler, and they're blowing teams out for five-minute stretches. I mean, it's amazing. But the whole thing's still weird. It's still weird, yeah, man. I mean, the whole vibe is weird. I, I didn't watch the Dallas game. I, I I was in Jersey slash Madison Square Garden the night they were playing. Uh, Madison Square Garden, yours truly, and um, some some dear friends with the Vikings. Yeah, I saw you were wearing a foam finger. Yeah, I, I had a foam finger, yeah. uh, no doubt. Uh, a Knicks fan for a night. Yeah. Uh, it um, <clears throat> The Madison Square Garden vibe. I mean, it's Knicks, Celtics, Knicks, full of L's. Yeah. Or Zingus hurt, non-playoff bit. No matter how good or bad they are, it's an ex- from what I understand, it's an extremely tough ticket to get because ev- the Knicks are still just a big thing in New York City, and Madison Square Garden is unbelievably cool. Yeah, there are certain. I mean, look, the Twins have been riding off Target Field attendance-wise for a while now, mm-hmm. but there are some places that are three steps above that where. No matter how bad the Knicks are, and the Knicks have been bad now for like 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, for most of my basketball watching, and it doesn't matter, because like you said, people just go, first of all, there's a billion people in New York, so there's going to be a half billion basketball fans. And yeah. They can fill it up. It's like Dodger Stadium. It's a rabid, smart crowd, too. It's just, And, and it's, it's, it's one of the vibes where, like, you know, as, as they go to TV timeouts, their timeouts right. or whatever, and they're away from the arena. It's it's not a lot of pomp and circumstance. It's a lot of organ. You know what I thought was really cool what they did? Now, granted, it's New York City. So, you know, copyright L.A., the star power is pretty good. Is if there were actors, rappers, singers, or athletes, they once they figure out those people are there, they put together little 20-second montages, then the camera comes right on them. And they have their name, and then they wait. Like a montage of like their movies and stuff? Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. Now, um, uh, yours truly being 52 years of age, and outside of certain things on Netflix, where, by the way, I've discovered something called Brockmire. Are you familiar? Yeah, with about it? the baseball announcer, oh, uh, Hank Azaria, yeah. right? Uh, unbelievable. I haven't seen it. But. I, and here's what's weird, is I, didn't watch, I haven't watched season one, but on our airplane, on the flight to and from Jersey, season two was available. Yeah. So then I read up on it a little bit, and I watched five episodes of season two. That's good. Spectacular, <laughs> and I guarantee you that you love it. So I'll watch. I might sink whole speculate a little bit this week with a couple of home games consecutively, starting with season number one. So, like, say say you're the guy from Brockmire. What's his name? Hank Azaria. Okay, you're Hank Azaria. They'll show ten seconds of a clip from yeah. Brockmire, and then then the camera's That's on a good you. Good idea. So Saquon Barkley, D.D. Gregorius, they were at the game. Here's a Gregorius, I think, home run against the Twins in that in that mm-hmm. playoff game. Yeah, and then there's D.D. 
So I just really like, from an operation standpoint, how they handle things. The organ is immortality. The lighting in, in the arena is spectacular. I, I, I was smitten by the world's most famous arena. Speaking of uh, famous people on the sidelines, mm-hmm. uh, did you see the Lakers Rockets? I don't want to. It was sort of a fight, but you know whatever. Is it you, Kedis? Uh, the Red Hot yeah, Chili well, Peppers he got guy. Tossed. That was fun. I mean, he got tossed. What's his name? Anthony. Kiedis? Yeah, Anthony Kedis, yeah. which is funny but yeah he's courtside he's yeah. he's cursing at chris paul yeah wants to fight chris paul and he gets tossed and they're like sir you just have to leave and we then, don't care that you made a good record 18 years ago or whatever and then flees like mother but the other thing i like is floyd mayweather was oh, courtside yeah. yeah i saw that wearing like a thousand dollars in like yeah. platinum chains yeah and i saw there's a clip of him where they're starting to fight like brandon ingram comes running in throws a punch and yeah. you can see floyd mayweather he's literally rubbing his hands together because yeah. he's like i could knock everyone on this you know how badly he wanted to fight yeah. It's, it was great because I, I like a I like a bad version of something done in front of someone who's the best at it. Yeah, it's like if LeBron James went to like a junior high basketball yeah. game, or Floyd Mayweather saw Chris Paul and Rondo try to fight. But yeah, yeah. I was surprised they only got what four three two game suspension. Rajon, Rajon Rondo spit on Chris Paul. Yeah, and he, he seriously did because after I watched the uh, the replay on my computer Sunday morning before going to MetLife Stadium. I'm like, he didn't spit on him. Yeah, but then people did the Zabruder film breakdown on, of it. He spit on yeah, him. Yeah, where he moves his face because he's like yes. surprised. Yes. Yeah. But the, and then the other thing And then thing Chris is, Paul got tagged. But the, uh, like, I thought Ingram was going to get a huge suspension just Me because too. of the Kermit Washington, Honey, Tom Janovich situation. Honey, he's on feng shui. A four-game suspension yeah, is huge. Yeah, but he put an L on my week. Let me put it. I'm this, having to use Justin yeah. Holiday. I have. Him, I had him. I have him. Rondo and Paul on the same team on the mm-hmm. same fantasy. But here's my thing. Yeah, if he'd have been better at punching, if he'd have connected full on with yeah. that coming in from the side punch, yeah, well, somebody would have been knocked out. Somebody would have had a fractured orbital yeah. or whatever. Like, so my well-respected fantasy basketball team, functionally, uh, we're playing. We're playing our mutual friend Doogie this week. Uh, Paul George has a two-game week, so I sat Paul George, yeah. and I've lost Brandon Ingram. So you have to dec- you have to set your lineups for the whole week. Yes. at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, and I sat Paul George two-game week. Used uh, Wes Matthews four-game week, and and Wesley's playing okay right now. Right. As as owner, general manager, and coach of Feng Shui, you're off, the Thibodeau of uh... off what Brandon Ingram did. I'm thinking of suspending him from Feng Shui next <laughs> week. So he has a three-game week. Yeah, you know, and three-game weeks are not preferred. So off the four game week where he's really hurting our squad and, and we won six of eight categories week one. I'm thinking of suspending him week three. Your thoughts? Yeah. I can't believe, like, do you think it went through his mind as he's running in there to try to cold cock a guy that I'm hurting the Lakers? But I bet it didn't run through his mind all the thousands of fantasy basketball teams that Thank he's- you. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, I was texting yesterday with Kawhi. Um, we, we sat him out for a rest yeah. day over the weekend. He's was, doing well. It was okay. We still won six two. Uh, Feng Shui took him with the tenth overall pick in the draft. That's some, looking good. Some thought we were reaching, and we're like, let's play it out. Yeah. So I was texting with Kawhi yesterday about Bi, and he's very disappointed, not only in the actions, but how he's hurting us this week, and and the fact that Kawhi is the bona fide team leader of Feng Shui, uh, the fact that he's on board with sitting Bi next week, um, strictly from a dis- an in-house disciplinary situation, the fact that he's on board with it indicates to me if I decide to do it it will not <laughs> fracture the squad. Yeah, you have to get yeah, any good any good manager has to get 
not approval, yeah. but kind of take the temperature of the clubhouse before yeah. you make a big decision like that. So I think, yeah, that's key. Yeah, when you, um, um, our center is a rookie from uh, Phoenix, Aiden. Yeah, he's playing all right. Yeah, he's playing okay. Yeah. And we have Jared Allen, a second-year player for yeah. the Nets. Like so we, Feng Shui d- does not want to send the wrong messages to the younger players that you can get away with what B.I. did and only miss four games. Uh, so that's um that's something that definitely... the most ridiculous conversation we've ever it's had. It's something that definitely is churning right now. Why I say watching Wolves games is weird. Didn't see Dallas. Um, uh, watched a fair amount of Cleveland and, and, and the season opener against the Spurs uh, and a majority of last night. It's just weird watching it, yeah. knowing your best overall player does not want to be here. It's It's weird cracking the mic and even pondering giving Jimmy Butler credit yeah. for going super hard. He's playing really well. He's getting better. The legs clearly are coming right. are, are are getting under him. Um yeah, yeah, Jimmy's the best overall player on the team. Yeah. But it's weird watching it knowing he doesn't want to be here, man. And it's I also find my I agree. And like the like it was, you know, half full. I feel like people have gotten over booing him, but they're not quite sure are we cheering him yet? What's the whole situation? And also I find myself I've watched I think like every game I find myself trying to watch his like little interactions with people. Yeah, like during timeouts, could just try to get a feel for like it's normal. Yeah, it seems normal. But you know what's not which normal? Is so weird to me. You know what's not normal, and it proves super special Tibbs is human. And those who attend games, welcome to email Bradshaw Brian inbox booth at kfan dot com. Two home games. I haven't been to either one. Is super special Tibbs is not as loud on the sidelines. Yeah. It's not it's not as loud, it's not as vociferous, it's not as overbearing, it's not it's not over coaching every single weak side move. Right. Um he actually he actually in the Cleveland game stayed in his seat. That's amazing. For the first two and a half minutes of the game, then he couldn't control it. So there's the some good coming out of that. I mean Jeff T had a quote, I think it was like at the end of training camp, maybe right before the first game. Yeah. Where he was like, Well, we're gonna try to work on, on Thibodeau getting him to calm down a little bit. Because at some point, you screaming ice, ice, ice during every defensive possession, mm-hmm. it's not helping anything. And my hope is that maybe if he's making an effort to do that, yeah. first of all, good on him for doing that, yeah. uh, just from a viewing standpoint or a listening standpoint. But also if they have success, like we were just talking about defensively, maybe it'll click in his head like, yeah, I wasn't actually having such a tremendous impact by screaming my way through every possession. Um, do we feel good about Butler playing hard for us despite not wanting to be here? What What is the techie slash nine to noon mantra here knowing right. that Jimmy the Bulldog is playing hard, he's helping the team, he's getting better because clearly he's getting in better shape. Right. So he's he, he's rounding into basketball form. He does not want to be here. How do we feel about this? I mean, assuming... Thibodeau's not talking himself into, with every good performance, talking himself into the fact like maybe we can still make this work. Assuming he's listening to what Butler's saying, it's better than the alternative, which is him not playing or him playing poorly. I mean, I say rack up as many wins as you can, bank those victories, and then when you do trade him, because it certainly seems like they're going to end up trading him at some point before the deadline, mm-hmm. you at least have uh, you're in at least playoff position because I don't you're not going to get better by trading him in the very short term. You're not going to trade him to Miami and bring back a haul that makes you a better team for the rest of this season. Right. But if you're already in the fifth or sixth spot at that point in the playoff race, or yeah. maybe even better, and you, you're beating teams like Indiana, then you trade him. You have a little bit of a drop-off. If you can at least kind of keep things calm a little bit, then you can still work your way into the playoffs. I mean, I give, them, I give everyone some credit. I, I think the whole thing is a disaster. I mean, we talked about that for weeks. But yeah. they're playing well. 
He's not like openly feuding with anybody. Thibodeau seems to have calmed down a little bit. They they're playing okay. He's doing well with the bench unit. Like I give everyone involved some semblance of credit because it could have unraveled even further. And I almost feel like once the games actually started is when things at least calm down and stop being such a disaster. Josh Okogie gave them a quality 24 last night. He was good. First of all, he's willing to shoot. I'll say that about him. He's a very confident young man. I, I thought he was great defensively. He's super athletic, super active. And I thought he made a couple. Like There was a, there was a play that Butler was driving to the hoop, and he cut from the three-point line to the middle and got a feed, and they called, I think it was uh, something on Butler, that the play was dead. Yeah. But you could see him, you could see like his thought process where he cut from the three-point line, went back door on his guy, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, if he's, I, I mean, that's he's smart. He's smart, he's long enough to guard two or three spots, he's real athletic. I was shocked by how willing he was to let a rip uh, when he got passes and he was open, but if he can shoot at all... I think they've, at the very least, found a rotational guy for the next four or five years. Dallas Keuchel to the Twins. Let's analyze next. You're listening to PA. Ben, you would know this more than PA would know. Hello. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, the mental part of the game. Up here, it's so mental. What do you think, I'm dumb? On the fan. Sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting in the evening. Two balls, two strikes, two out, bottom of the ninth, Dodgers 5-1, to one. Kershaw to Mustaka, swung on and missed strike three. And for the second consecutive season, the Dodgers are going to the World Series. AM 570 LA Sports, Boston and Dodgers this evening. Who do you like and why? Well, let me preface it with this. I've been wrong about the Red Sox in both series so far. Really? Uh, I thought they'd lose the Yankees. Yeah, you know, I have been too. And I thought they'd lose. I thought the Astros were the best team. Yeah. And maybe that's just a rube take because they won last year. Yeah. But I thought they were very built for the playoffs with their starting pitching right. and their power hitting. But, but you know what? We came together on a Red Sox-related opinion that was looking right in the first series. Uh, where their bullpen was struggling mightily. Right. Uh, credit to their bullpen. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Yankee series and all through the Astro series, uh, their bullpen has really started to come through. And Alex Cora, their manager, got creative with it. And I think we're probably going to see that tonight where he used Rick Porcello, the game three or four starter, mm-hmm. for an inning or two as a setup man early in the series, knowing that he could then turn around and use him as a starter. Yeah. So it strengthens. I don't think their bullpen is great. I mean, I don't think L.A.'s bullpen is that great either. Yeah. Uh, I think we've seen the the better bullpen. I mean, the Yankees' bullpen and the Brewers' bullpen and even the Ash. Those are the, the best bullpens, mm-hmm. but there's more to it than that. And I think uh, here's what I'll say. I think the Red Sox should absolutely be favored, which they are. Yeah. I think that's justified. You know, they got home field. They were the better. They were the best team throughout the regular season. But I think the Dodgers, because of their slow start, and they lost Corey Seager to an injury, and then they went and got Machado, yep. their win total from the regular season was viewed as kind of underwhelming. Right. And I think they're every bit as good right now as people thought they would be at the beginning of the season. But because they struggled for a couple months at the beginning, people kind of have that looming over their opinion of them. But, I mean, I think that the additions they made at the deadline, I mean, they, they had a Dozier. And he's not even going to play. Yeah, like they added all kinds of right-handed hitting to counteract what they're facing now, which is Chris Sale and David Price in the first two games. I I think I would pick the Red Sox if it's just even odds, 
But I think, given the odds, I think the Dodgers are a better bet to get a little bit of money in there. What do we anticipate uh, Cora does with bets when they go to Los Angeles and the pitcher hits? I think he's going to play him at second base at least one game. Yeah. I think you have to. that's so J.D. Martinez can hit, Yeah, I mean, you have to. Because, I mean, there are times when you just say, look, we'll give up. They even, when David Ortiz, when they were in World Series games with Ortiz, they would, I think once or twice even, gave up the DH and just had him as a pinch hitter. But Martinez is so crucial to their lineup and... He's a bad outfielder, but he's at least playable in the outfield. Right. And so I think they're going to play Betts. I mean, Betts was a second baseman in the minors. He was a prospect at second base. I think he even played some second base early on in the majors. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be great there. But we've also seen, I mean, we saw what the Brewers were playing Travis Shaw, a third baseman at second base. With all the shifting and odd positioning that's going around, the notion of quote-unquote second baseman yeah. is a little bit different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And I mean, those are two of the probably four best bats in all of baseball. You have to be able to get both of them into the lineup, and then you can maybe do some things late in games if you have a lead. You can take out Martinez for defense and shift bets back to the outfield. With all that money the uh, Twins will have to spend this offseason, does Dallas Keuchel make sense? Maybe. I think it depends. I think he's a little bit like we've seen from Kershaw, which is still very good, mm-hmm. but you're starting to see the erosion a little bit, a yeah. little bit lower fastball velocity, a little bit lower strikeout rate. Still really good because he's a smart pitcher and he, he was the strikes. most beatable of the Astros five, right? Exactly. The entire season. I think as long as you view him as more of like a number three starter, and you don't go looking to give him some six year mega contract, mm-hmm. if you can get him for three years and yeah. number three, you know, Irvin Santana money, yeah, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen million a year, yeah, I think that's. Reasonable. I do think I like him with Atlanta. Yeah, that would. I mean, I, I think Keuchel with Atlanta. They got and, money to spend too. They got money. Yeah. And that younger environment, National League. You know where games can be lower scoring. Yeah, that would. I think that would fit. Atlanta sort of jumped the line a little bit in terms of the schedule of their rebuild, and so I think yeah, they're going to be even more so than the twin. They're like where the Twins were last year, where they surprised and it was kind of a year ahead of schedule. Then the t- Twins. Took a step backward, obviously. But, yeah, we just talked about on Gleeman and the Geek, the podcast. We broke down the payroll thing. which Podcast 395. You can get on uh, iTunes or wherever podcasts are sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we figured, at the very least, even if they drop payroll from where it was this year, they got $50 million bucks to spend, either in free agency or to pick up guys in trade. The spots they clearly need, I think they need a middle infielder, yep. wherever Polanco is not going to play, either shortstop or second base. Yeah. They need a corner infielder. If Sano's going to play third, then they need a first baseman. If he's going to play first, then they need a third baseman. Right. They need one starter, which Keiko would certainly fit that description, uh, at least mid-rotation or better. So we can't trade for Goldschmidt, right? And why I bring it up, it's the highest of high-end examples. Right. But I read something in anticipation of the techie coming in today where, yeah, I know super special Eduardo Escobar was just uh, re-signed for three years. Right. Very, very, very very cool deal. Very fair deal. Yeah. Um, but I read something where Arizona seriously may be trading every good player it has to completely start over. I'm like, I mean, Goldschmidt would cost a lot. We have a lot. Right. But it would have to be trade, which means now immediately we start with Barrios. Yeah, or at the, I mean, it depends what they're trying to do from a rebuild standpoint, how deep they want to go. Mm-hmm. Do they want to rebuild on a five year plan or do they just kind of want to retool and get younger? Yeah. Because if you want to retool and get younger, they ask about Barrios or they ask about guys who are in the majors now. Yeah. If they're trying to do a real full rebuild, then they maybe they ask about Nick Gordon or Gonsalves yeah. or somebody like that, Alex Kirilov or something. 
I I mean, Paul Goldschmidt is a legit MVP caliber guy. Big time. The question with him is, you know, do you want to make a, a give up long term assets for an immediate short term yeah. fix? Because he's not going to be with the team for eight years down right. the line. It's going to be an immediate injection of offense. And then the question then becomes, well, how good do you think this team is? as sort of a baseline yeah. to the point that if you're going to send away two or three young guys to get a, a great bat like Goldschmidt, well, it doesn't do anything if you think it's a 78-win team and you, he sends them to an 84-win team. Same. But if you think they're an 85-something win team like they were a year before, yeah. well, then Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt can really do some things. I think the the focus whenever we talk about like a lot of payroll spaces is always on free agency, mm-hmm. but I think they're going to invest that in trades because I think it's going to be easier to get cost-controlled guys yeah. for one or two years as opposed to trying to make, you know, with, with Keiko or last year with Darvish, some huge long-term investment in a 30-something pitcher. I think you can give up some prospects and get a guy in his 20s sort of like the Astros did with Garrett Cole last offseason. You think those twins will hire a manager within the next two weeks? Yes. I think they may hire, what's today? I think Thursday because the... the the scheduling for the World Series, yeah. they ask teams not to make announcements on game days. Right. And so you can kind of do the math there on what when there are days off. I think certainly by this time next week, I think they'll have a manager announcement. And it sounds like, unless I'm completely whiffing on some mystery candidate, that there are three guys who have been brought back for a second interview in town, mm-hmm. which is Derek Shelton, their current bench coach. Rocco Altabelli. Right, Rocco Baldelli, who was has been with the Rays, former top prospect, all yep. that stuff. And was with Shelton there, right? Yep, briefly with Shelton, with the Rays. And then Brandon Hyde, who's most recently been Joe Madden's bench coach in Chicago. And I think all three of those guys kind of fit the same description, which is they they're all under 50. They're all considered sort of players, coaches, they've all worked under successful organizations, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, Chicago. They've worked under good managers. And I think the one key is they've all had coaching jobs for a while, but each of them have either filled a front office role for several years Mm -hmm. or sort of a middleman role, which Shelton had with the Blue Jays for one year. And I think the front office, the Twins front office is looking for that. They want a good manager, clearly, but they also want someone who is connected to both worlds. And I think, you know, that can talk about the analytics stuff, can talk about roster building, but and can also get sort of messages across when they want to change a guy's pitching repertoire. Or they want to tinker with something. And I think for whatever you say about Molitor, if you think he was a good manager or a bad manager, you know, by virtue of being an old school 60-something-year-old guy, he didn't have, he, he wasn't in both worlds. And I think they're looking to find somebody who can be more of kind of an intermediary, can kind of, more fluid back and forth between the, the clubhouse and the front office and be sort of lockstep part of the bigger ecosystem of the organization. Aaron Gleeman, AaronGleeman.com, at Aaron Gleeman via Twitter, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, also an author, and I'll learn more about all that at AaronGleeman.com. See you next week. See you, Pia. John DiFilippo with the Vikings Report coming up next. Kevin Lynch in studio at 1055 on the Wolves. Time now for the Vikings Report on the Fan. Presented by Quick Rewards from Quick Trip. Offensive coordinator John DiFilippo joins PA after this from Quick Trip. Uh, John, Brandon Zilstra of Spicer, Minnesota, got rewarded with his first National Football League catch. What led to that? Yeah, I was happy for him. And, uh, you know, he's been working his butt off. And, uh, you know, obviously been doing a great job on special teams. Uh, for those guys, and and you know, obviously he's just he's doing a good job for us. And you know, he got he got to a point where we were in there, and you know, it was late in the, late in the drive, and um, you know, he 
you know, one of our guys needed a blow and he got in there and that, that's what you need to do when you're a, you know, when you're not a starter, uh, at any position and you get thrown in there. I mean, you, you got to know what to do and, and, you know, everyone expects you to perform your job at a, at a high level. So he did a great job of going up and making that catch and I was really, really happy for him to, uh, to see him do that. You know, today being Tuesday, you're, uh, you're way down the road on the Saints and, uh, their run defense is number one in the NFL. Overall, when you think Saints defense, what do you think? Uh, Saints defense, I'll tell you, the last couple of years, they, they've played really well. And, and I've worked, you know, for three years with their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen. And, you know, he was the head coach in Oakland when I was there the second time. And obviously, I know Coach Allen really likes to, you know, bring the pressure. Um, he's going to give you unscouted looks. Um, he's going to give you, he's going to try to make you play left handed and, t- you know, take away what, what he feels that you do well. And so we have our, we have our hands full again. And, and you know, they played really good defense since, since uh, Coach Allen's been back there the last few years. And, uh, you know, we have our hands full again on Sunday night. There's no doubt. This has been the Vikings Report with offensive coordinator John DeFilippo and Paul Allen. Brought to you on the fan by Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Hey. Nor now, Paul Charchi in six minutes away with uh, the fantasy pickup joint. Good morning. What's up? News Denord. Brought to you by Canterbury's Card Casino, Poker, Blackjack, Table Games. It's all good all year round. Just get to CanterburyPark.com for all the details. And this is what we'll do until Chart shows up. This week's biggest We didn't have an opportunity to run through some of the games from Sunday while doing 9 to noon yesterday, so let's do it. Uh, Titans in London. Titans and Chargers. I don't know if you got to watch it while you were at MetLife prepping for the game, Uh, but it's 20 to 13 Chargers in London. Less than a minute left, and the Titans get in the end zone, and they just need an extra point to tie. But you know what? Mike Vrabel's like, I want to get out of here and go back to America with a victory. Screw overtime. I'm going to go for two. Yep. First time it doesn't work, but there's a defensive penalty. Here's the second go around. Mariota under center with no backs. Now motions Lewis across the formation. Mariota looks, throws back of the end zone. Ball tip incomplete. It was intended for Taylor, and the Chargers bat it down. So it remains 20-19. Onside kick doesn't work. WGFX Titans Radio. Titans going for two in the win. Bites Mike Vrabel this occasion. Titans fall to three and four. Chargers five and two. You like the decision, PA? Yeah, I like uh, the way Mike Vrabel's operating. Uh, it's very aggressive. And, um, you know, they, the head coaches you're starting to hear after games. We heard it with Doug Peterson after the Vikings-Eagles game. We heard it with Pat Shermer uh, last evening after he went for two multiple times. Uh, the, the math over the duration of games is adding up. Uh, The math is meeting the percentages. Now, this year in the National Football League, two-point conversions are being completed at a 47.8% clip. So... They're working a little bit more, yes. Right. They're, They're working more. I mean, the math per the situation can work out, but then when we get to the reality of it, are the plays actually working? 
If it's less than 50% for me, that's not good enough. But I'm I'm not mad at Vrabel's approach at all. I dig it. Another NFL, uh, Ravens and Saints. Ravens have a lead. They lose the lead because Breeze and company put up 17 points in the fourth quarter. Ravens score late to tie it up. Justin Tucker, 222 for 222 in his career. Has never missed an extra point. Here it is. Tucker's extra point to tie the game. The kick is up, and it is... Oh! No good! No good! It drifted wide right. Justin Tucker has never missed an extra point in his career, and the house is utterly shocked. Uh, Saints improved to five and one. Ravens fall to four and three. Analyze that L. Second or first greatest kicker in the history of the NFL, Justin Tucker. I, I mean, Adam Vinatieri has to be at the top. Uh, Tucker's right behind him. Can't be mad at him at all. Um, I thought it was very game. Uh, the way the Ravens scored late to even be in a position to tie that game and go to overtime. Looked like a fantastic game, and uh, the uh, the Saints are here Sunday night. How about this one? Eagles have a 17-zip lead heading into the fourth quarter at home against the Carolina Panthers, and they allow 21 unanswered in the final frame. Here's the final stretch. Fourth down and two. Wentz has the snap, a low snap, but Wentz is looking, and Wentz cocks his arm, balls, loose balls out of there, still loose on the field, picked up by Peter, now he loses it, and it's recovered, (laughs) and the Panthers are going to win the game. (laughs) The Carolina Panthers are going to win this game. Yeah, WBT, Carolina Panthers Radio Network, Mick Mixon and company. Uh, the Eagles are 3-4. and four. The Panthers sneakily at 4-2. and two. Yeah. Very much a contender in this mix as the road gets farther to the playoffs. I predicted Friday with charge at Buffalo Wild Wings Elk River, the Vikings host a playoff game week one, wild card weekend. And the team they will meet will be Carolina and Norv Turner here. And they're definitely going to be in the mix right down to the wire there. That's a possibility. Meanwhile, Philly at 3-4. and four, They're having defensive issues. The offense isn't working at various times. Can you analyze that L of a situation? They miss Jay Ajayi. And uh, it's going to take a minute to get over that. And it's not like Jay Ajayi is Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton-esque. But for the way they play, they want to hit you with three. They want to hit you with the Jai, uh, Clement, and Smallwood, uh, and or Sprawls. So a the the true powerhouse guy of what they want to do is now out. Um, I think that hinders them. Uh, they've had offensive line problems all year. Their left tackle, Jason Peters, I think is playing hurt. They demoted their left guard. And uh, defensively speaking, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not close enough to it to point fingers and uh, throw cliched rocks or tomato cans. But I felt this coming into the Vikings Eagles game, and I still feel the same way after. I, I just I feel like there are some members of the Philadelphia Eagles who are a little fat and happy off the Super Bowl victory. Yeah. And they've regressed. And it's not week in and week out. You're not getting schemed week in and week out so that it, you can't get around it. Jim Schwartz is too good at what he does. So there's a little bit, there certainly is a regression to the mean, but there's a little fat and happy taking place with Philly Freedom. couple more for you here quickly. Uh, Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field trying to beat the Washington Redskins. They fall to 0-4 on the road, but they need a field goal to win PA. The fan base is mad because they had a timeout in about 12 seconds, could have moved the ball up a bit farther. 
There was a snap infraction yeah. on the field goal that pushes it back five yards. Here's Maher from 52. Maher certainly still has the leg from here. For the tie with three seconds. 52. Kicks away. Line drive. 52. Hit the left upright and bounced out. The game is over. The Cowboys lose to Washington, 20-17. to And they fall to 3-4, and four, that courtesy 105.3, the fan of the Dallas Cowboys radio network. They just dropped a first-round pick on Amari Cooper yesterday, and uh, there's some frustration down in Big D again. Two things here. One, the uh, the kicker who replaced Bailey's really good. Mar, M-A-H-E-R. Uh, secondly, if the long snapper does not commit the infraction, the Cowboys, he makes that kick. It's good from 47. It's not good from 52. And lastly, uh, we know that Jacksonville lost the game. We know that they fell to 3-4, and four, but this was surprising. Wide now. Or maybe not. Drops, this looks, is the biggest looks, L in the NFL. Right, still looking, still looking, scrambling. Looks like he wants to run up those at the last minute. Diving a hit by T.J. Eldon. Caught for the touchdown! He looked like he was going to run it, then he fired it to TJ, and TJ one-handed it for the score. Will it be an illegal forward pass, though? That's WOKV, the Jaguars radio network, the name you didn't catch in that highlight with Frank Frangi and company. Uh, Cody Kessler threw that pass to TJ Yeldon. Blake Bortles benched, losing fumbles, poor performances. Uh, That is maybe, like you said, the biggest NFL of the week. Uh, It's the biggest NFL of the season. And it started with Jalen Ramsey and Unique Ngakwe being suspended into the Vikings-Jaguars preseason game. Uh, Jalen's way out of control, and, and they cannot control him. Mark my words when I tell you that they cannot get control of Jalen Ramsey. It's a very dysfunctional bunch, and um, I believe they play Philadelphia this week. Um, I absolutely like uh, Philadelphia to rebound more so than Jacksonville in this game uh, that I believe is in London. Uh, a man who's not in London, he's in the glitzy western suburbs. It's my uh, main man, Paul Charchi, in fanball.com for the fantasy pickup joint. Good morning, Charchi. Good morning. Uh, probably the worst story in the NFL right now is the Jaguars, right? Uh, I mean, no, no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, they committed, they made a, two, a two-year commitment to Blake Bortles that has, hasn't even made it two months. And, um, you know, this was they could have been every bit as active and maybe even a, you know, potentially a better suitor in the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes and look at where they'd be now. They, um, you know, and maybe they couldn't have afforded Cousins. You know, they have a lot of money tied up into that defense, but even their defense isn't playing nearly as well as expected. So everything's gone. Everything's gone backwards for them. P.A. and Church. After the uh, the most recent loss, the one to the Texans, uh, the media uh, Jag security. Uh, got word it's okay to bring the media into the locker room to do to do their jobs. Yeah, and then Calais Campbell runs up to the door, closes it because there was a fight breaking out oh, in the God. locker room. I mean that that that's how bad things are for these L's right now. Yeah, and you know this is this doesn't always happen to every bad team, but it does when you have Super Bowl aspirations and you're a two win you're a two win team looking at Halloween. So that's the uh, and that's the situation the Jaguars find themselves in. I think they've won one of their last or they three wins, one of their last five, I think, or one of their last four, something in that ballpark. So it's been, yeah, it's 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 all unraveled there, and uh, and most of the blame does fall on the offense and squarely on Blake Bortles. Your quarterback did a fantastic job at MetLife Stadium, per usual. Thielen pass outstanding. Aldrick Robinson pass outstanding. Uh, yesterday, while Sinkhole speculating. Um, I watched back seven Kirk Cousins deflected passes because I want to get a better handle for the feast on exactly what's happening. And this is with all due respect to our favorite quarterback because we love the guy, you begged for the guy, the team got him, and he's been fantastic. 
he really has to do a better job with these deflected passes. And I know there are times offensive linemen need to chop guys down. Correct. But every single but every single play is not designed that way. And three or four of them that I watch, the offensive line is moving to a spot to do what they're supposed to do. These defensive linemen are starting to stand up and anticipate where the pass is going. And and he's got to fi- he's got to do a better job of finding the right lane. I got I almost wonder if there's not a tell. You know, is there a split second tell for right. Kirk? Who's got he's got a fast release. So it's not like he's got this loping windup, right? But th- I wonder if there isn't some kind of tell that's triggering to these guys, you know, it you know, go jump, get the arms up right now. And my initial reaction when this all when this all started coming to like, you know, whatever, 2 3 weeks ago and this started to turn into a thing was well, your linemen really do need. If your linemen have fully engaged their, you know, the, the defensive player in front of them, they can't get their arms up and not easily. And um, and there are things you can do to, to help stop that. But it's just too pervasive. It's just too pervasive to put it all in the offensive line. Some of it has to be on Kirk, and they've got to get it figured out because they're giving away plays every time that happens. You're taking a zero-yard play, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's. It's not devastating, Paul, but it is a it is a problem, and you just you can't give away seven plays in a game like that. Your pickup suggestions this season have been fantastic. Um, I, you're, you're not going to hit on all of your fantasy football weekly and or pickup joint-related opinions, but you've hit on a majority of them that I've heard. Uh, so stay on an influential run and uh, give us some pickup suggestions for this week. Well, it can't be worse than my one-hit wonder from last week. Well, yeah, mine got knocked out of the game. Yeah, and You're, mine had mine had zero yards on zero catches. Well, your guy Kiki Cutie was diseased. I'm, yeah. The only reason I did it is because you think his last name's adorable. It is adorable. And then it was horrible, so now well, Nordo does it. got knocked out of the game, well, so, I know. Well, in I, fairness. I know, but Nordo yeah. does it for me this week, so what do you got? <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, not a great week on the waiver wire, with a couple of exceptions if your league's not paying attention. Mitch Trubisky, if he's not already owned, and he's owned in about two-thirds of leagues, go get him. He's been, he's been good for three weeks. Weird game last week, but ultimately a good one, fan. Fantasy-wise, Dak Prescott, Paul, is a definite winner in the Amari Cooper uh, deal. He um, he now has his he's got his best receiver by a mile. He's got a bye week for those two to work together and get on the same page. Yeah, as we saw with Josh Gordon, you know, receivers it it's not it's not just like an instinctive position like running back. You could you could just you know say hey you know new guy just you know run left and I'm going to hand you the ball and go find a lane. Um, you know, there's terminology. You've got to get. You got to learn all the the routes. You have to learn. Uh, you got to get in sync with your with your quarterback. And there's a lot of moving parts. And you know, Josh Gordon's taken the better part of a month to really get up to speed with the Patriots. That'll probably happen with Amari Cooper as well. Cooper has himself dropped in several leagues. And as part of the fallout, you could throw a uh, you could throw a pick if you want on Martavis Bryant, who's going to walk into the starting spot that he left behind. Yeah. In Oakland. Doug Martin is your new starting running back with the Raiders as well, and Martin's not good technically, uh, but he's the he's a starting running back in the NFL now that Marshawn Lynch is on uh, is on IR. Unfortunately, what about Aldrick Robinson? Is that an absolute no? No, that's an absolute no. We need more than one yeah. target a game <laughs> or two targets a game. It's four catches, three touchdowns though. I know, I know. Well, he he catches for money, and I love that part. Hey, do you do you know who Raheem? Mostert is. Yeah, the running back for the Niners. Yes, he's he has passed Alfred Morris on the depth chart, and they're talking about shutting down Matt Breida yeah. because he just can't get healthy, and he's he's hobbling off the field, and God love him for playing through everything he's got. Yeah. Uh, but Mostert looks really good and way better than Alfred Morris, and here comes the Cardinals 
Remember what the Vikings did to the Cardinals, and then the week after that, what Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman did to the Cardinals. Yep. They are dead last in all of these categories. Uh, that would be opposing teams' carries, yards, and rushing touchdowns allowed. Video and video games weekly tonight? Video games weekly tonight. A lot on Fallout 76, which is coming around, and really? Red Dead Redemption 2. Any way you can analyze Galaga and the route of attack to pick up those two spaceships? <laughs> You remember Gallica vividly. I love it. Uh, we will talk a little bit about how there's uh, a retro in television console coming as well. Buffalo Not Wild Wings, Coon Rapids on Friday for the feast. See you there. Bye-bye. Paul Charchian, at Paul Charchian via Twitter and uh, Fanball.com. Paul Charchian, don't forget about the Fanball.com slash radio promotion uh, for a great contest over the weekend. More on that Friday when we feast at Buffalo Wild Wings, Coon Rapid. Fox Sports North's Kevin Lynch, elite basketball mind in studio for a couple of segments. Uh, then we close with Vikings Nostalgia at 11.35. Nordo with News Du Nord, and I'm Paul Allen from the Bryan Heating and Cooling Studios. Good morning. It's 9 to noon. 9 to noon. You're listening to PA. Time for two more. On the Fan. You know, if you get stops, you can, you can push. And I think having the multiple point guards allows you to play that way. So we do want to play a lot faster. I don't know what it really means other than because our pace was fast in preseason and we got blown out. So if if the pace is fast and we win, I'm good. Now, it, it, I think we have the capability of doing I think it's set to urgency, you know, we, well, right now we're one and two. Um, I feel like, you know, just with the um, couple of fixes on rebounding in the last couple of um, games, we couldn't we could be three or no. So we came into this game knowing, you know, we have to be able to pound the glass and then control the boards. And, um, you know, coach, when coach put me in early, um, late in the first, he told me, you know, I just need you to go out there and get rebounds. So, you know, my focus coming in was just to help even out or give us the positive edge on the rebounding game. Love's Train rolls into the final hour of the 9 to Noon presentation from the Brian Heating and Cooling Studios. It's Paul Allen. After you heard the head coach and uh, the rookie, Josh Akogi, uh, playing 24 minutes last evening, Wolves beat the Indiana Pacers. To chat about that and more, my main man, Kevin Lynch from Fox Sports North. Uh, for the new schoolers, back in the day, he was Mr. Basketball in the state of Minnesota while playing at Bloomington Jefferson, played for the University of Minnesota, went to the NBA, played for the Charlotte Hornets, played with uh, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, and Kendall Gill, and uh, now he uh, balls with 9 to Noon in studio. And here he is. Good morning, Kevin. How you doing? It's been a while. How have you been? Good. I had a good summer. Uh, a lot of summer basketball camps. A lot of camps, run. right? Yeah, I did eight weeks of camp this summer, so I was busy. Cultivating the future of Minnesota's basketball. How did that work? Did you unveil any elite talent that potentially can head to your alma mater in, like, six years? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. A lot of times camps nowadays, you know, like back in the day when we were in high school, high school kids would go to camps, at the type of camps that I run. Yeah. But nowadays, all this AAU stuff is so, these kids that are basically from 14 up to 17 yeah. are doing that stuff. And the kids that come to camps, like the old traditional week-long Monday through Friday camps, like what I do, yeah. it's basically 8-year-olds to about 12, 13, and then that's it. Yeah, but you got to start somewhere, though. Yeah. I mean, because if, if Kevin Lynch and the Lynch camps don't get their hands on them that early, then they immediately go to yes. some, some form of an AAU-type bit. 
and then you become unbelievably manufactured and put together perfectly like Carl Anthony Towns. Wow, where did that come from? Carl's a little manufactured for my liking. What do you mean manufactured? I'm I'm a Carl Anthony Towns fan, so let's let let's just start there. But okay. like but like, you know, I I think people used to bring it up a lot about Kevin Love and like the path he took, the AAU world and then UCLA and just how it plays into an overall game when you get into the rough and tumble world of actually playing NBA games. Like like Jimmy the Bulldog, Jimmy Butler. And we'll talk about him momentarily. Now, now for all of the negative things that are transpiring right now with Jimmy and the organization and and to look to me first couple of games like he was out of shape and he's getting into basketball shape, I don't look at Jimmy as being a manufactured type player. I look at Jimmy as somebody who comes from a less than desirable background in (laughs) Texas, goes the JC route, works his way to Marquette, Uh, isn't a top-five pick, gets to the NBA, plays a two-way game, and has to scratch and survive for every single thing he gets. With, with like, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and they're both unbelievably talented, and they play for my favorite team. Especially Towns. So I ain't talking out of school right now. It just, I'm not going to say that they, they... they they were on the easy road or whatever. It just feels I'm with different. You. Yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the route was different. It seems like uh more blue bloodish. Yeah. I mean in fact I was just thinking about this driving down here. Just how how uh it's you know, let's face it, a lot of these top players, Towns, Wiggins, and a lot of guys that come into this league that are top picks. They they've kind of been ha- they've had their butts kissed for a long time. Right. Life is pretty easy and and uh yeah, they're talented, and many of them are probably good guys in a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, everything is easy for them. That's why you got to respect the path that Butler has taken. Now, let's not forget he's a he's a total diva now. Yeah, but absolutely for a lot for a long time he kind of had to scratch and dig and be gritty. Yeah, and kind of find his way. And there's some respect that you have to give a guy who who goes that route. He became a diva in Chicago, and um, yeah. I don't have specific examples. But when the uh, when the Timberwolves made the Levine, Markinen pick, Chris Dunn, the whole thing for Butler, um, there's a radio guy and, and a radio show in Chicago called Waddle and Sylvie. One of the hosts is Mark Silverman, and those guys, Tom Waddle, played in the NFL. Really good football mind, very good radio show, and so I had Sylvie on, and you know they're they're plugged into the Bulls and the Bears as well as anybody. And he started it out with basically like, good luck with this. I mean, I'm not going to cite specific really? examples, but this thing behind the scenes with your new guy, it was, a mess. It was bad. Yeah, And and that's why, because it, you got Kawhi Leonard before he got hurt. Kawhi Leonard, best two-way player in the NBA. Clay's a really good two-way guy. Uh, believe it or not, LeBron can be a great two-way guy when he Anthony tries. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, boom, with the Stud. block shots. Yeah. But Butler is in that conversation yeah. with two-way players. Yeah. And the Bulls were willing to let him go. So I didn't believe a lot of things I was hearing early, but now they're starting to bear their fruit a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know that last last season when, well, that that's when Dwayne Wade was with the Bulls, right? Oh, yeah. And so there was a, a lot of bit. yeah, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I think, uh, including Wade and Butler, I think they're pretty good buddies. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, so you can respect all you want his path and the, how he got to this point, but 
Uh, a lot of times you kind of pull the curtain to the side and you see some other stuff there with a lot of these guys. It, it, it's weird watching games right now, Kevin. I mean, Jimmy Butler, you know, uh, maybe I can't remember the last time I had a player who was my favorite player in the NBA. You know, maybe Kevin Garnett or something like that. Where Jimmy, Jimmy was my favorite guy, man. I mean, I begged for him the year before they traded for him. I begged for the Wolves making a deal for Jimmy Butler. I remember that. And the argument all summer was like, people are like, you can't give up Andrew Wiggins. I'm like, screw that. You give them anybody they want, sans cat, if you can get (laughs) Jimmy Butler. I don't care about Andrew Wiggins. Levine, they can have whomever they want. And then the next year, they make that deal. I got my guy. Came on the radio show from yeah, All of America the day we got him. I yeah. was popping tags, man. And and on the court, he's been exactly what I thought he would be. But it's weird watching games, Kevin, because you're watching the best overall player on the team and Jimmy Butler knowing this guy doesn't want right. to be here. <laughs> exactly. He's trying hard. I'm not right. going to credit him for trying hard. That's what he's compensated to do and greatly compensated. And and I want him on the team because it gives him a better chance to make the playoffs. But I'm watching a guy who I know does not want to be here. It's weird, right? And it's your favorite team, like you said. You know, so that bothers you, like like a lot of people. It's uh, it's frustrating. I mean, I, I, everything would be just fine if he would commit to this team and stay here. Maybe that can change. But I mean, he has told everybody a number of times he doesn't want to be here. He wants to be traded. He's not going to re-sign with this team. That deal Wiggins got should have gone to Butler. The deal, well, if he waits until next summer, he can get a, an even better deal than what Wiggins signed last year. Despite, really, that that yeah. is accurate. So yeah. what they gave Wiggins and what they gave Cat, they can give a fat deal to Butler too next summer. Not the not this off season. The next one, I think it's next next summer when he's unrestricted. Damn. So it's it's close to what Wigan, uh, what Towns signed, $180, great. 190 million, something like that. That's okay, the great. Most he can sign. So then, what's the problem? He just doesn't want to play with the manufactured kids. Yeah, I mean, or like everybody else, he wants to play in L.A. because he has a super special house well, in L.A. The, the, you know, the thing that, that see that's the the frustrating thing about this stuff with me is one of the things with with Butler in particular is kind of the narrative on him is like you said. He's he doesn't care that much about money. He said that he had a quote last last season, something like, "I've already made so much money. Money's not going to be that important. I don't care about the size of the market, and all I care about is winning." Well, it turns out that none of that is true. Right, all of that really mat- matters. Absolutely, he wants to go to the big market. Winning's not that important because he named three teams that weren't playoff teams. They're all losing teams. Yeah, Knicks, Nets, and whoever else, Clippers, Clippers, and it's like. You know, it, that's what gets so frustrating about this. He's playing on a good team right here. Yeah. He can sign for the most money with the Timberwolves. So what's the problem here? Speaking of the Knicks, yours truly Saturday night, uh, watched a game in Madison Square Garden for the first time in my life. Uh, Vikings are playing the Jets. We got MetLife Stadium the next day. So um, so we arranged for tickets to the Knicks and the Celtics. Had really good lower-level seats, too. And it's my first time in Madison Square Garden. Did you, be it with the Gophers or uh, the Hornets or whatever, did you ever play at Madison Square Garden? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, my God. A number of times with the Hornets. I never played there in college, but uh, yeah. Madison Square, that's not the first time you've been there, is it? World's most famous arena. First time. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. Timed <laughs> up the Uber perfectly. We leave New Jersey, took the Holland Tunnel L, which is like 45 minutes, so we knew we knew it was going to take a minute. We got there an hour ahead of time to make sure we got the will call and the whole thing squared away. So then what's next? We walked to a cool pizza spot by Madison Square Garden, sat down, had New York-style pizza, went to the game. I bought a foamy finger, a Nick's orange foamy finger, and I, <laughs> I wore it during the game when Tim Hardaway Jr. hit threes. And um, and and your guy, um, um, your guy Ennis Cantor got rebounds. I'd hold up the foamy finger. Uh, but the lighting in Madison Square Garden and just the whole vibe—you played there—that's unbelievable. Well, the, the thing that that when I first played in that arena was you walk in and you hear so much about it and you get in there and it's like all right looks like target center it looks like a lot of nba arenas and i know they've renovated and redone it a bunch of times Mm -hmm. but i mean you go in there it doesn't look spectacular i mean there's plenty of of arenas staple centers and you're saying when you're on the court looking up it doesn't look spectacular no, that, that Chase Bridge up there and everything. Well, maybe when was the last time I was in there? Now I was in there. Must back have been twenty five years ago. No, 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 no. I was in there. Like, well, you're fifty eight, and you. So let me <laughs> come on, man. But didn't you play against Elvin Hayes and Bob Dandridge yeah, and yeah, Dennis that, Johnson yeah. and Gus Williams, George Mikan? No, that's not that old. No, 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 no. Last time I was in there was in the two thousand five, four, oh. five, right in there. So I was oh. in there not that. Ooh, not the Knicks that were long good, ago. right? Uh, were they? I don't even remember. See, I was in there for, for Gopher basketball. That's oh. why I was there. Oh, calling a game? Yeah, on the radio. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, that, that you know, sitting... Now, granted, you know, this version of the Knicks, non-playoff team, waiting for free agency, get these draft picks going, your guy Ron Baker running around with the floppy hair. Super special. <laughs> Celtics were really good. Cool watching... Ky- cool watching uh, um, Kyrie Irving and yeah. Tatum and Brown and Horford, those guys in person. I'm a basketball snob. Uh, but... um. But you sit there, and you watch, and you think, because of, you're familiar with the lighting in the arena, right? Or can you not tell when you're on the court? Because the lighting stops eight rows from the court. It's super dim oh, for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, the court is polarizing. So then you you stare out there, and you're like, Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano, they fought in the middle of this light. Ewing Starks against Reggie Miller with Jordan and Pippen and Grant and Kevin Lynch and Zoe and, and Larry Johnson and Kendall Gill and Muggsy Bogues. They're all coming in here playing in the world's most famous arena. It's such a nostalgic place, you yeah, know? You know, and plus you got the movie stars. I remember uh uh, not Al Pacino, but Dustin Hoffman was oh, yeah. there when I was playing. And I remember John McEnroe. I grew up a big tennis fan. And McEnroe, this is oh, kind yeah. of a funny story. So we come out at halftime to warm up for the second half. We were playing the Knicks. And McEnroe had a seat, maybe he still does, down by uh, where Spike Lee would sit. Yeah. And so we're warming up, just doing a layup drill. Hold on. Down memory lane we go. Go ahead. So we... <laughs> We uh so McEnroe's sitting there and I'm you know I obviously knew who he was and and uh I I yelled to him hey Mac hey McEnroe what's up man and he kind of shot me this this nasty look like don't bother me whatever yeah and I was like oh, screw you man and I kind of thought that <laughs> so then like years later his autobiography comes out and this when that happened and that during that game at halftime that was like 92 93 yeah 
So years later, I read his autobiography because I, I like tennis, you know. So, and in the book, he talks about his divorce with Tatum O'Neill. Oh yeah, they had a really nasty divorce, really? And, and it was right during that time oh. that I actually was at that game and yelled to him, and so I cut him a little bit of slack. But he you might, didn't ask him on a date; you no, were just saying hello. I was just saying hello. Yeah, he easily could have said, "Hey, man, how you doing? Whatever, yeah. good luck." And but uh, he, yeah, he was kind of he was kind of not very nice. Let's put it that way. When I played tennis in high school. I was in the mid '80s. I was so into John McEnroe that I tried to change my serve to the sway up and down with your back to the adversary. <laughs> I wore Sergio Tacchini, <laughs> and I tried to curl my eyebrow into a fro like John McEnroe's hair. Where the, the red headband, like at Wimbledon in '79. Yeah. Uh, back, back in the day, Pete Rose, John McEnroe. <laughs> Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, I'm um, Walt. I mean, it was unbelievable. Walter Payton, for sure. Kevin Lynch in studio. More basketball conversation next. You're listening to PA. When Muhammad Ali was down, did you count him out? When Jiminy Cricket was down, did you count him out? This is the game, Doug. Woo! On the fan. Hey, why don't you head to KFAN.com's contest page and register for your shot to win a pair of tickets to Trail of Terror in Shakopee. KFAN.com. What um, what'd you think of old Josh Okogie last evening in those 24 minutes? Played okay. Played well. Uh, played I'm confidently. S- yeah. Uh, hit it. Did he hit a three last night, or was mm-hmm. that the Dallas? I can't remember. No, he hit a step-back three last night. Oh, yes, nice. he did. That's right. I think he hit a corner three against Dallas this weekend, I think. Um, I like him. Uh, I'm not in love with him yet. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to come. I, you know, sometimes guys... Uh, you know, and I was we were going to talk about this in the pregame show last night, but sometimes players in the NBA that are six three, six four as guards, or they're forwards and they're six seven, six eight, kind of can be tweeners. And I'm a little nervous about a Kogi. Yep. And he's tough and he plays aggressively, and that's going to help him. But how many types of players can he guard? And I think that's how tall he's. He's about six four, and guys that are that height can he what? Are, are, can, can he, he guard? Guard? What's guarding? It's the NBA. Uh, all these games are well, 146, true. 143. That's, that's true. Nobody's guarding anybody. That's true. But, but you know, I, I tell you what, you know, can he stay with a guy 6'8"? Can he guard a point guard who's 5'11"? That yeah. size, you know, if he was 6'6", mm-hmm. different story. Uh, if he was more 6'2", then he stays with point guards. So that's my concern with him. He doesn't jump out at me, but he seems like a good kid, hard worker, and he'll be fine. Well... I'd, I'd like to see, uh, he doesn't necessarily have to play 24 minutes a game for me at this early stage of his career, but I, I would like to see him play, despite the DNPs, the did-not-plays that he took early. So Wiggins will be back, uh, from what I just saw on Twitter, uh, Wiggins will be back for the Toronto game tomorrow night. So I think right. Wiggins back 
Okogie back to bench zero minutes. Where there there has to be a way to play him a little bit in this mix, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, just the last couple games have kind of indicated that he can. Uh, he's not overwhelmed, and he can fit in. And and uh, yeah, if Butler plays and Wiggins. I mean, well, if, if both of those guys play, everybody else is going to play minimal minutes. But I like a Kogi. I think he's got a chance to be okay. If you um, if you are Andrew Wiggins, do you get on your knees every day with your palms to the sky and thank the higher power for the contract you got? <laughs> I mean, you're getting to a point. Uh, yeah, I think he, anybody he's would. So frustrating. Talk to me. Talk to me here. Well, you you you're the one that is he. No, not I fru- want Is he not frustrating? No, he, to you? Fr- he frustrates me too. Um, it's I, just not consistent. That's what frustrates me. Well, what frustrates what frustrates me about Wiggins is the most is he's a good scorer. He's not a great scorer. He's not a phenomenal type of scorer. He's just not. He doesn't shoot the three well enough. Yep. And he's had issues from the free throw line the last season or two, and that's that makes you nervous. So uh, he's a good scorer, but he doesn't do a ton else. Everybody knows that, and that's what frustrates me. Like there are a number of games the last couple seasons where he would play, you know, with Thibodeau coaching. He'd play 38, 40 minutes in a game. He'd give you 22 points, and that's good. Yeah. But then you look at the rest of the stat sheet, zero rebounds, yeah, zero assists, not zero one steals. St- yeah, it seems like you would just, playing that many minutes, you'd stumble into four or five rebounds and get a couple assists. But there's too many games where the stat sheet says says that, just zero, 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 and 22 points. And yeah. that, that's what frustrates me. Do you think Andrew Wiggins is <laughs> naturally more talented than Jimmy Butler? Uh, Running, jumping, okay. wingspan, well, you're, athletic the metrics. Instead of more talented, you're yeah. saying athletic. Yeah. yeah, I think he's probably more athletic. Right. And he'll never be as good overall right. as Jimmy Butler. Right. So now we're getting into the to what started this whole conversation. The, the manufactured nature of certain players yeah. in the NBA where they didn't have to work as hard right. as Tony Allen. And I know I'm using an old, old that's school a, name. That's a good example. Tony Tony Allen, somebody like that, he used to play for the Grizzlies. Right. Um, you're Bruce Bowen. Bruce uh, Bowen. Players like that who just had to work for something and never will make as much as young Andrew. But they had to work for it, and quite honestly, at the end of their careers, probably left with more respect from their peers than Andrew will from his. What, Wigan, this, what, Steven Jackson's another guy. Steven, okay. <laughs> Steven Jackson, I don't know if I agree with that. So, the other names for sure. Steven Jackson was a tough mug. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's tough, what I mean. Tough tough player. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it just it just seems like guys guys who grow up and they're playing basketball, but they're constantly, it's like, talk, it's like face-to-face talking with somebody and you're talking to an NBA coach or a scout and you're face-to-face, but they're constantly looking behind you for somebody else. It's yeah. that feeling of being in front of somebody and yeah. they're looking over your shoulder, yet you're having a conversation with them. Yeah. And eventually you got to say, hey, your answer, what yeah. you're looking for is right here. Right. And that's what hey, Tony buddy, Allen... eyes up. Yeah, look at me. Instead of always looking behind... And, it's that type of thing, and there's some guys out there that play that way, like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and I think, like, Butler used to be like that. Tony Allen is a great example. Bruce Bowen is a good example as well. And when you're, you know, Andrew Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns to a degree, and you get, or you're Zach Levine and you can 360 when you're 12 oh. years old, and you get so much attention for that. Uh, you know, you, you just, uh, there's a difference. You, you, don't, you don't play gritty. You're not, you're not like trying to grab people's attention 
And some of those guys you named are kind of like that. You know who's gritty? Even though, you know, from Memphis, I believe, threw an MVP award and a million, zillions of dollars earned, but a bunch of injuries too, is Derrick Rose. Uh, the Derrick Rose has popped to his game right now. And the crossover isn't what it used to be. And um, he's never been a great three-point shooter. But nevertheless, Derrick Rose is a fair yeah. country spark off this bench. Yeah, he he. Uh, well, because his star has sunk all pretty far, and he's trying to stay in the NBA, and he's playing a little bit desperate, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Watching him play, he's playing desperate, and it's kind of nice having a guy coming off the bench because let's at this point he's not a starter. I hope they don't make him a starter at some point with Butler leaving it, you know, whatever. But uh, to me, he's well. A they good, went Teague Rose Butler last night to close out the game. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just saying that, and he's going to play a lot, Derek Rose. So I, I get that, but I'm just worried defensively of the Wolves going too small. They're going to get punished against some teams by going, you know, Teague and Rose too much at the guards, and a Kogi at the three or something. That's way too small. But Rose is, uh, yeah, he's he's kind of playing for his life right now, and so this team hopefully can take advantage of that, and he can give you that kind of spark off the bench. And that's it's it's always hard to guard a guy who every time he touches the ball, he look he looks to score. Yeah. He's trying, he's hunting for shots yeah. constantly, and you're you're defending a guy like that. And yeah. every once in a while in my career, I'd play against a guy like that, and it is exhausting. Um, scoring in the NBA is way up. Look at these box scores. Look at these final scores. Oh, my God. I mean, it's way, right. way up. Why do you think that is? Any idea? I don't know. I, I mean, I think maybe part of it is some of those rule changes, but it's it's got to be more than that. Uh, I, I don't have a great answer for you for that. I don't know. Well, I mean, teams, everybody, n- nobody's going the route of the Houston Rockets, but everybody's getting closer. Yeah. Where it's the, the amount of threes being shot right now, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like San Antonio beat the L.A. Lakers last night, and they won a high-scoring game. You know, but you look at, like, the San Antonio makeup, and and I don't think San Antonio is a playoff team this year. And I'm simply calculating or estimating that off the roster. Um, not the head coach, obviously, who can get the most out of everybody. Right. Your guy LaMarcus had a fat game last night. Um, uh, Rudy Gay can score, but they just don't shoot enough threes. They're just not good enough from outside the perimeter over the long haul for me to think they'll make the postseason. So the you know, we're not breaking news here, but the emphasis on three-point shooting and making never has been higher. And by the way, I referenced one of your former teammates, Alonzo Mourning. If you're like Zoe or Shaq or players like that, good luck trying to play in the NBA five years from now and, and, and on because the days of those guys are done. Oh, I, you know... I. It has gone that way. We know it's a three-point shot. Dallas took 53 threes against the Wolves the other night. But I, I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if things go in cycles. I'm kind of a believer in that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, I think at some point that inside game is going to come back. And maybe it won't be really? for 10 or 15 years. But um, How? I, I just think eventually... If they back back up the three-point line, maybe it will. I, well... <laughs> Is is that a possibility? No, but I mean that's that that's what it. I mean, when you have seven footers hitting three pointers yeah. at the propensity at which they're hitting them, the line's too close. I my point is everybody think a lot of people think that the only way Golden State, whenever Golden State gets knocked off the top of the mountain and is no longer the best team in this league, it's going to be by a team that plays small and tries to match their smallness. If you want to say that, yeah. I don't know. I I might. I'm kind of. I kind of believe that 
it might be a big team that eventually knocks them out. So, I mean, look at Oklahoma City. Should have beaten them a couple of years ago in the Western Conference, right? And they went big all the time with Durant, Cantor, Adams, and they had and they just screwed it up themselves and made mistakes. But uh, I'm saying size still matters. I, Look at Philadelphia. Philadelphia, people don't realize Philadelphia was one of the top defensive teams in the NBA last year. But you look at that roster and you think, well, how can that be? All their young guys, Embiid, Simmons, Saric, are all offensive players at this point, which is typical for a lot of talented young players in the NBA. They all think about offense. And the rest of that roster last year for the Sixers was Redick, Covington, uh, Bellinelli, Bellinelli, Ilyasova, shooters that are kind of slow too. So how can? But the thing is, is Philadelphia was a good defensive team because they started seven foot six ten, six ten, six nine, six four for much of last season, and their size bothered teams. So, uh, what, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. What's no, I'm going? Not. On? What are you doing right now? I'm moved by your commentary. Uh, whatever, Hold man. On. <laughs> wow. What a great NBA mind. I was looking for that. <laughs> oh, my heavens, was that good. Let's please do it again soon, okay? Thank you. Kevin Lynch, Fox Sports North, uh, final segment next. It's the Gopher Report on The Fan, brought to you by Carboni's Pizzeria. Now with head coach P.J. Fleck, here's Paul Allen. What are some overall things you are seeing now, P.J.? You absolutely know will be better this time next season. Well, absolutely. You, you want to be. You know, We're going to be a heck of a lot more experienced next year than we are this year. Um, we're playing a lot of young guys now to make sure that next year and the year after and the following year, they're not young anymore. You know, And, and that's, that's, some, that's, that's the decision that I've made. Um, you're kind of forced into that decision, but that's the decision I've made. And um, you know, I know our team is playing their tail ends off. They're playing extremely hard. We're down twenty-eight, nothing. We battle back with twenty-two unanswered points. I mean, that that shows the resiliency of these. I think there's seven or eight freshmen now starting on offense in the Big Ten. You know, and that that's you're, you're, that's that's not where you want to be as a football program, but it's where we are right now to get to where we want to be one day. And uh, you're doing everything you can to win games now. Uh, but we're getting better every single week in a lot of areas, and in some, uh, we're going to get better over time based on more development. And in recruiting, where are some areas where you definitely are getting better? Well, Carter Coughlin leads the Big Ten in sacks. You know, I mean that's that's a huge notch in his his, his cap into our you know defensive line cap. We need to be really good up front, and I think our front seven has done a great job for the most part of of stopping the run against again Ohio State. And you look at Iowa. This game, we knew we'd have to be able to do some other things, and we didn't stop the run. We missed four tackles, and that's 200 yards of rushing right there, and most of it's on the back end. So I think our front seven is playing really, really well. Uh, when you look at in terms of uh, of that, I think our punter Jacob Herbers, you know, he punted five times in the first half, and and all five were down inside the 20 yard line. You know, we had 474 yards of total offense, which is the second best we've had since New Mexico State. Um, you know, and Tanner Morgan, you know, and and, and Zach Ash, that both freshmen threw for 350 yards, which is the most in a decade uh, that Minnesota's had in the Big Ten. And Ty Johnson, I mean, he's the second leading receiver in the Big Ten. Again, these are these are these are the things we're going through. And and again, people want things to be perfect. We played 10 freshmen on offense last week. We played four freshmen on defense. Um, it's just where we are. That was the Gopher Report with P.J. Fleck, presented by Carboni's Pizzeria on the radio home of the Gophers, the fan. I can't wait, I can't wait until tomorrow. 
Hey, are you planning to attend the Friday football feast this Friday in Coon Rapids with PA in charge? Well, the fan and Coors Light want to give you a shot to win the best seats in the house. I'm talking about front row tickets to PA in charge at Buffalo Wild Wings Coon Rapids on Friday. All you got to do is tweet at KFAN1003. Use the hashtag MVP table for your shot at those front row seats to this week's feast, PA in charge. It's Paul Allen, 9 to noon on FM 100.3, The Fan. What do you have up your sleeve with these? Uh, what's the long play with these sheets? Uh, the sheets in front of you? No, the ones in my buck rack. Of course, the ones in front of me that I'm looking at. Okay, well, it is a list of all-time plays that one as a as a Vikings fan might remember. Glorious moments, unbelievable ways to end games, walk-off winners, playoff victories, okay, uh, benchmarks in a franchise stretching back to 1961 concerning your Minnesota Vikings what's, from from what, then until now. So, what's the long play? Well, the long play, first of all, it was nostalgia that took over me, uh, took me over yesterday. Down memory lane we go. But at some point, we have to figure out as we look forward to the Saints Sunday night game, Vikings and Saints, Sunday night football on the fan. Yeah. And we think a bit about the last time these two teams met, which would be January 14th, 2018 divisional playoff game. Stefan Diggs, 10 seconds left. Marshawn Lattimore, safety misses him, stay in bounds. Uh, yes, uh, the walk-off winner, the Min- the Minneapolis Miracle, where the Minneapolis Miracle might sit in the pantheon of this list of great plays and moments that I put in front of you. So are you thinking, fade the music, fire up 9 to noon, good yes. morning. Are you thinking, down memory lane we go, Mount Rushmore of great of the four greatest, most exciting, positive... These are positive plays, right? These are all positive, yes. Okay, because I'm thinking, here it is, season's on the line. Um, Garrett um, Garrett Hartley. Yeah. Uh, Jim Marshall the wrong way. Uh, Nate Wright and uh, Drew Pearson. Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson. Yeah, this is not... I a mean, mu- those are memorable. You're talking about... The Mount Rushmore of most memorable, positive, exciting plays in the history of Minnesota Vikings football. Correct. I know we've lost four Super Bowls. We've lost NFC championships. Hearts have been broken. Wide left, 27 yards. Blair Walsh. Forget all of that and think about the good times. The Mount Rushmore of positivity. I like it. I love it. Um, But as you can see with the sheet in front of you. I just booked Fran Tarkenton for tomorrow. Oh, at wow. ten thirty-five. Well, he's a human skull story. Well, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, no doubt about that. However, I'm thinking open segments mm. so that we can properly talk this out. Or do we go to the show page, Paul Allen Show page, KFAN.com? Is there a way to let people vote on these plays? You know, and then and and I'm PA. I'm not DA. I'm not the devil's advocate here. I understand. I don't operate that way. However, you know, with Given given the fan is your people 18 to 34 leader, a lot of people age 18 to 34, the younger generation, they will vote for certain plays because it's all they remember. 
So you're saying, for uh, instance... Now I'm looking at this Brent Novoselke <laughs> TD catch versus Cincinnati Christmas night 1989. <laughs> I mean, Ryan Burns is not voting for this play. What about the 1982 playoffs, PA? Tommy Kramer needs one more drive. Falcons up 24-23. Wow. Ted Brown on third down yeah. gets the five-yard end-around rushing TD. Yeah. Vikings get to walk away winners oh. with a buck 44 left, 30-24 over the Falcons. We can tie that into a wild segment. Keep it all in the family. Joining us now, JT Brown. Uh, JT, did Dad ever talk about this play? There you go. Because it might be on the Mount Rushmore of positive, exciting plays. Well, and that's why that's why this was overwhelming, is I put this list together. But the, but the list is comprehensive, and it's deep. It, it's fantastic. And now I understand why yesterday, when I was at Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, you asked me to chat with Vikings Immortality Dennis Ryan. Yeah. The equipment manager for nearly 50 years, which I did. And then I sent you an extensive list of some of the biggest, most mo- most promising or, or, or popular positive plays, history of the team. Yeah. I mean, Dennis Dennis and I chatted for 30 minutes about this after you sent me that text. Jeez. But the problem is, I'm looking at these sheets. Yes. I, I have sheets in my hand. I understand. I understand we want to do a Mount Rushmore bit, tie it to the show page, have the Rubes vote. Tie this thing up in a couple of weeks. Um, clicks for AJ. Yeah. Uh, corner offices, off back of announcer. Uh, live life peacefully until Thanksgiving. So I get the long play, okay? Yep. Miracle and or the Greg Lewis play are not on these sheets. How can you possibly move forward with two of the most, two of the, two of the most happy, positive, memory-making plays in the history of the organization and they're not on these sheets you gave me. Instead, you have 2015 TCF Bank Stadium, the Rams game. Zimmer defers overtime toss to get wind in his favor, which was brilliant. How brilliant was that? Oh, my God. Like a freaking coin toss is going to be on a Mount Rushmore of positive plays? He intentionally gave the ball to the Rams and said, I will take the wind. I understand. And it was a walk-off winner. I understand. And it was very me- It was memorable. The sheets you've given me do not one, two, three. I mean, what do we have? Thirty options here? Yeah, I got about thirty, uh, yeah, thirty-five different yeah, something like that. Okay, great. No, those two those Where's two were too Mer- obvious. No, well, they need to be on the list so the announcer can decipher which way we're gonna go with the Mount Rushmore bit. Well, grab a pen that you've chewed basically down so to the So you're telling ink. me Miracle and or Greg Lewis don't you think they should be part of the mix? Oh, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It was not. It was not a an, an omission. It was. This was just a sheet as I was scrambling to collect all so the need, obscure plays. We need thirty-two. All right. So let's NCAA tournament bracket madness it thirty-two to sixteen, sixteen to eight, eight to four. Yeah. And we stop at four, and therefore we don't have to define the greatest, most exciting, positive play in the history of Minnesota Vikings football. Because Mount Rushmore is relegated to four. Now, not to be an ageist here. I mean, I'm 33. You're 52. But you're, ha- you're an atheist. Ageist. Sorry. Weird. I want to connect. About to call Zach Halverson. I want to figure out how to connect mm-hmm. with the the 55 plus crowd. Because, for instance, yeah, nobody. If we go to a if we go to a bracket of 32 PA, Down no one's gonna go. no one's gonna vote for Alan Page. 
picking off Roman Gabriel in the 1969 playoffs to secure the franchise's first victory. Yeah. That's the franchise's first ever playoff win. And see this this list through Dennis Ryan and or Tom West as the catalyst to Miko Nordo, subsequently relayed by yours truly. This list, it it's comprehensive all the way back to the beginning. I mean, 69 with Joe Cap, two-yard touchdown for a lead. Carl Eller tackles Roman Gabriel for a safety, 23-20. Page picks off Gabriel in Vikings territory. 30 seconds left, secure first playoff win. So we're back there in the 60s. Of course, we got 70s here. Paul Krause caught a T or threw a TD pass to Stu Voigt. Was that a fake field goal? It was a fake field goal. What? Right. In overtime. That's mid-70s. We get into the 80s. We have uh, plenty here from the 80s. I mean, we, we would begin with, I don't know, December 14th, 1980, a playoff-clinching victory over Cleveland, 28-23. Your guy, Ahmad Rashad, 46-yard touchdown pass from Tommy Kramer as time expired. Then we get into the 90s, then the 2000s. Dandy toss from Randy Moss to Mo Williams. This was that against the Broncos? Willie Teal fumble recovery in Philadelphia in 85. Walker Lee Ashley interception. Teed. Down memory lane we go. This is unbelievably cool. 2012 versus Packers. Adrian Peterson passes 2,000 yards. I'm negative on that because if Adrian had a broken free for a touchdown, and he almost did, and he was running like the proverbial hair was on fire. It was on that twelve-yard run, right? Um, yeah, he gets the record. Uh, he, 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 you know, he he closes a record, a near record-setting season. Yeah, he's yeah. MVP, but he didn't get into the end zone. It's like okay with Adrian out. You know, for like, how do you do the two ninety-six game? When when D Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday with Adrian, the most positive memory-making bit for him. That would appeal to the masses because we work for the fan. Right. So A, we're bit oriented, and B, we want to move the meter. Would be 09 game one, ragdolling Eric Wright, throwing him off to the side with the stiff arm. In Cleveland. Or, granted, it's in a loss, uh, trucking William Gay Woo. in the seventh game of the season, middle of the field. At Pittsburgh. You know, Adrian had a lot of, he, he just, like, Adrian never had any walk off win runs. No. So. Might not be any Hadrian inclusion in the bit. Or his greatest reception. I mean, the 61-yard the <laughs> touchdown is rookie season against the Falcons. Yeah. And Adrian Peterson said his reception. reception. <laughs> what in the hell are you talking about? Oh, that's so stupid. So, um, all right, well, when does this begin? Uh, who's orchestrating it? How much do I need to promote it? If, um, if you and or KFAN want to tag me in the Twitter bits on this, I will retweet it to help both entities get more followers. I appreciate that. And uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you need, let me know. Well, it looks like i got to get started on this this afternoon. Yeah. But i, I got to get to 32. I will get with AJ and create some sort of, some sort of a bracket. And it's all positivity. I'm keeping think, Gary I, Anderson and Walsh and all those guys I off. I think you put the... I, maybe we think about doing it by decade. 
you know, the like 60s versus 60s, 70s versus 70s. Like keep keep the okay. older ones together so we keep them alive. Well, unfortunately, old guys got to stay alive, though. Yeah, in the 2010s, though, we have like one play. Ooh. That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Twin Cities Orthopedic Studios for 9 to noon tomorrow. Fran Tarkenton's on the show, uh, plus the Burke bit and much more. I'm Paul Allen, Brian Heating and Cooling Studios, FM 100.3 The Fan, Talker Tuesday, Rearview Mirror. Uh, time for the producer to put a wrap on the show. Thanks to Down the Paddy Wagon. Lane. Thanks to who? <laughs> the Paddy Wagon for sponsoring the 9 to Noon Show wrap. Take care, Polly Wally. Start the show with Adam. We're like, hey, 19, PFT to end the hour. PJ in between. Is there anybody out there that can stop this feeling? His agent counting dollars like I got a good feeling. Squad big wheel and stealing the throne. Getting bloody in the trenches. Just ask Clancy Barone. Top of the table. Dog fighting the North Flight. Brooklyn Park just got cable. I can watch TV tonight. PA waxing his brow like a hobby. Host in the lobby with his bingo dauber wobby. Nine to noon takes the party on the road tomorrow. Another Wednesday, another chill show at TCO. Hey, you're not working today. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, again, if, if you can make it, give me a call for lunch with the boys. Keeping your head above one time. Play around with a bad football team, bad things happen. Temporary layoffs. Nine to noon. Easy credit ripoffs. Paul Allen. Scratching and surviving. Wintersville. Hanging and a jiving. Not much else to say. It's been a joy. Have a good night. If it's good news or money, leave a message. Down memory lane we go. To listen back to a podcast of today's show, visit the Paul Allen Channel on the iHeartRadio app or go to KFAN.com.